Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast covering all the franchises, one movie in one episode at a time. And we took a week off. We were kind of barreling through, and then life shit happened, and you know what? I think the show is going to be better for it today, because we have a core four here. We really do. And drink and leave a five-star review every time we use that phrase today, because we are here to talk about the mega hit, the number one movie at the box office, Scream 6, the sixth installment in the franchise where they're going on a road trip. And like I said, I'm not alone. I've got a core four with me. So up first... From the site We Who Walk Here, and also one of the managing editors over at FilmCred, where she is posting all her South by Southwest reviews right now. Getting all that out. Welcome back once again, Jessica Scott. Jessica, how are we? I'm great. I'm excited to be here with the core four. Everybody drink. Everyone drink and leave a five-star review. That's what you have to do when you hear that today. Also joining us again from the Disenfranchised podcast, which is basically would be the ghost face to our Sydney Prescott in terms of having to fight one another. We have Mr. Stephen Foxworthy again. Stephen, how are we? Doing great, Mike, as always. And uh, and a very merry core four to you. Excellent. I forgot my beverages. So, all right. First of all, how dare you, sir? I know. I know. Also joining us, and it's been a long time since we've had her on the show, but let's welcome back the lead gaming critic over at Bloody Disgusting and the host of her brand new podcast, Carnal Extremities, Raina Cervantes. Raina, how are we? Hi. Hi. Hello. I am doing well. I hope you all are doing well as well. God, that was well in a a lot of times in one sentence. (laughs) That's all right. So also drink, take a drink and leave a five star review every time you hear well. Also, every time. Uh, all right. So we are going to launch right into it. We have so much stuff. Uh, as Stephen reminded me before the show, I take a lot of notes. So uh, he was like, "Yeah, I just stopped reading past like page 12. So <laughs> look, I had stuff to do this morning. I, Mike. I had to, I had to get out of bed at some point. <laughs> Yeah, I I understand. So we're going to start with our initial thoughts. And this section is going to be spoiler free. So for our listeners who uh, have not had a chance to see Scream 6 6 yet and are listening but don't want to be spoiled, you can check this section out uh, in the background section. And then from there, uh, once again, into the movie discussion, we'll get pretty spoiler happy. So we'll start off with Raina as our guest. Why don't you give us your initial thoughts? Like, what was it like walking out of the theater? Sun was shining. 
what is going on in the background there? There's a home invasion. Reina, what was your impression of Scream 6? Just to clarify, the home invasion is not happening in my home. But um, I, it's me. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. Um, So I walked out of this movie kind of... I, I walked out at first, like initial impressions getting up and walking out of my seat was like oh wow like that was a screen movie that was genuinely different like i walk in with this general expectation for a screen movie because as different as they are they are all pretty much the same and this one was just totally like blew the doors off of like the possibilities in the franchise so i actually walked out like very like unknown at the moment and then the more i let it simmer that afternoon the more i just like kept falling in love with it excellent have you rewatched it since yeah i've seen it two times since i've seen it once Mm -hmm. in standard format and then um as a report for bloody disgusting i went and saw it in 4dx okay that was what i was curious about could you First, for our listeners that aren't familiar with what 4DX is, could you describe what 4DX is and then what the experience is watching the movie in that format? Yeah, so um, 4DX was a theatrical exhibition technology that was developed in South Korea in 2009. What it does is it adds uh, practical effects to your viewing experience. They have not only motion seats, but they also have flashing strobe lights, wind effects, scents, water jets, air jets, um, basically any practical like theme park effect you can think of. They apply it to a movie that's in theaters. Um, So I was super curious. I was like, how the hell does a slasher movie work in that format? Um, And pretty much any time a character was like thrown around or stabbed in this movie, uh, you felt it. Um, Your seat was being thrown. Felt it. Yeah, you were like thrown back and forth in your seat. And there's little like vibration motors in the like back part of the chair that imitate stabbing. So like you would feel like whenever a character was stabbed. Um. Not only that, I'm not gonna but, lie, that does not sound like my idea of a good time. <laughs> I didn't think so at first, but like, oh, without spoilers, once we hit like a couple scenes into this movie, it was a blast. And okay. whenever blood blood splattered on the screen, like it, the water jet would shoot out like a squirt of like water to mimic the blood. Ah, <laughs> so it was one of those things. I was like, I felt like I was at a theme park, like having the time of my life. To be honest. <laughs> Right Would on. it be distracting to see the movie for the first time like that? Does it ever distract from watching the movie? Was it something where like where you had already seen it? You're like, okay, this makes this is adds to it. Or if it was your first time watching, would it just feel odd? So I think for a first time viewing, I would not do 4DX. Um, especially like I can't imagine anyone seeing like a Marvel movie like that opening night <laughs> their first time because that thing is just. You're you're just gonna get your ass kicked the entire time. At least at least a slasher movie has a lot of downtime in, in between. Um the one scene I won't go into detail, I'll keep it super vague, but the subway scene from the trailers is the scene where I was like, 
okay, this is a little bit distracting. I'm feeling a little bit queasy because it vibrated the entire time like you were on a subway train. And no yeah, I, I, I won't go into spoilers, but that was the scene where I was like, mm, I can see how can, this can get like very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it's such a fascinating technology and it is great because I'm, I'm always interested in the next like immersive horror experience, like being like a games critic. Obviously I have experience with virtual reality and some of the best like VR games are horror based. Um, and, and this one is just, just super fascinating as in, as it involves your whole body, but it doesn't really quite immerse you as much as VR. The thing that like, um oh i'm sorry i was gonna say no 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 uh, no go ahead this is my final thought on the 40x like format before you get before anybody asked me anything um they showed a trailer for guardians of the galaxy 3 while i was there and the trailer was in 40x so it had the movement and the lights and everything that was like oh okay i wouldn't want to see a movie like that in this format okay. so it's overwhelming at that point yes i i thought so because like um like I said, they have strobe lights, so every time like Star Lord fired off his gun, the strobe light would flash in the theater. Oh wow! Okay, I'm trying to imagine an experience like for its 40th anniversary, the erotic classic starring Mickey Rourke and Kim Basinger, <laughs> nine and a half weeks in 40x. Like hell, hell yeah, yeah. It's just pure penetration at that point. Like <laughs> yeah, leaving a sticky puddle in the theater when you walk out of there. And and. And it's wild to think that, like, Paramount and Spyglass, who made Scream, were all like, oh, yes, this is the format to put it in. Um, Apparently, they also did it with number five. But like I said, the 40X technology isn't very adopted yet. I think as of this, like, recording, there's only about 35 theaters in the U.S. that support it, Mm -hmm. five Mm -hmm. of which are on the West Coast. It's not a format that, like, I think anyone can just get up and go see. Plus, like, okay. tickets are over $20 for this. Right. Well, like, right. in Massachusetts, though, that's the cost of a ticket some nights or close to it on, like, a Friday night for an opening movie. And, and especially AMC, where they're going to be doing yeah. that. Like, if you don't want to sit in the front row, you have to pay extra money mm-hmm. uh, or just sign up for their movie pass. Um, so, yeah, I, that's true. It is not something you're going to just maybe do every week. It would depend on the movie and its availability, but no, that's, that's fascinating. Like I'm cause you're uh, I listened to a couple other shows that described it as well. They said similar thoughts and it was like very fun to experience the movie that way. So I may have to look around and maybe try it just to see how Un- it goes. Unfortunately, like apparently I went to like the very last scream showing for it in my oh. area because um shazam came out and they put shazam in the 40x format that makes sense okay which which makes sense pg-13 heart pg-13 superhero movie is going to make more money than the r-rated slasher in that format um i went like randomly on at 9 40 on a wednesday night mm-hmm. and it was like me and three other people excellent <laughs> Jessica, what were your initial thoughts on Scream 6? Um, I I saw it opening night in 3D, which was 
interesting, though I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> um, I, I enjoyed some of it a lot. Like there were parts that I absolutely loved and there were parts that legitimately shocked me. Like I, my mouth was open in the theater and I was, um, but ultimately I just kind of left like, it was okay. I had fun, but it wasn't my favorite. Um, it's not my least favorite. It's not my favorite. Uh, I have really enjoyed seeing people's reactions because a lot of folks are ranking it really high, which super high. Yeah. Which kind of surprised me, but this is, so far a franchise with no weak links in my opinion. Yeah. So I can, most of the rankings I'm like, I don't agree, but I can totally see that. Um, so I kind of walked out like, Meh. it was a scream movie and I had fun, but it didn't blow me away. So sure. I'm, I'm really interested to talk about it with, especially Raina who liked it a lot more than I think all of us did. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it was not just four people who were like, Meh. <laughs> yeah, that would make for, a, um, and I, and I think one of the benefits of like, taking a week off before we record mm. this is if I recorded this Friday or Saturday after initial viewings, like the um, mic that came out when we did Mandy or uh, <laughs> Rob Zombie's Halloween, where we actually got like emails from listeners. Like I've never heard you so mean towards a movie <laughs> before. Please don't do that. Um, that would have been, my initial reaction. So sitting with it with a little bit, I think will make a, I think it'll make for a better show. Absolutely. Steven, how about yourself? Um, I saw it a week from, or a week ago today about, actually I told you guys before we started recording that about this time I was getting on the train to go, to go see the movie. Uh, before stabbed. I was not. Um, no, cause they've not set a screen movie in the Chicago area yet. So I'm good. I did. Pony up the $12 at my AMC to buy the souvenir scream cup with the ghost face topper. Uh, totally worth $12. It actually like moves when you, the you can see maybe, I don't know if you can see this on the camera or not. I'm doing visual aids on a podcast. I am the best. <laughs> um, but yeah, dropped uh, pointed up the cash for that. And so it is now prominently displayed on my desk of toys. Um, and but if yeah, it's in 40 X that cup would like stab you through the mouth every time Correct. you, yeah. Took a drink from it. <laughs> and then twist the blade. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So no, it it was I was just kind of like, I'm a big huge nerd, and there's a thing from a franchise I like, I must buy. Like this is the nerd code. We see a thing, we must buy. And I I had the money. So I was like, yeah, why not? And I and I did turn to my girlfriend. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm a huge nerd. I'm sorry you're dating a huge nerd. And she's like, oh, it's okay. And I was like, oh, you're you're nice. I think Trummy dates you because you are a huge nerd. <laughs> is that why you date me? Because I'm a huge nerd? Maybe. <laughs> she Excellent. said maybe. All right, there you go. Um, but no, I no, I just I I there were things I really liked about this movie, and there were things I really didn't like about this movie. Um, all in all, I think my final verdict of it is it's fine. Um, like I thought, again, without getting too spoilery, um, my favorite screen movies are the ones where the motivation behind the killing and the um um shit the the motivations behind the killings and the what's the word i'm looking for here the 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 commentary are are really sharp i think i mentioned that on the the scream 6 trailer breakdown that that the three of us recorded mike and jess um like the, those are those are the scream movies i like and i think the the scream movies i enjoy have those do those really well and i feel like in that regard this might be one of the weakest in the franchise um and and again i would love to be told why I'm wrong on that. Um, 
but I, you know, it, I, it didn't hit for me um, in the way that I know it has. And honestly, this feels like maybe the most divisive film of the franchise since four. Because mm-hmm. I love four, but I know a lot of people who adamantly hate four, like viscerally hate four. And four, I'm just mm-hmm. like, four's a romp. Like yeah. I'm having a blast with four. So yeah. it took four a long time, I think, to get its just due. And it does feel like in the past few years, like it got its Halloween three moment where everybody was like, Halloween, I mean, sorry, Scream four is fantastic, actually. And I think that's like the general consensus. I went back and found my initial review of it. I'm like, it's good. Um, like it wasn't nasty towards it, but I'm like, yeah, it's pretty good. But like, I don't know if I need it. And now um, I adore that movie. And it did take me time to come around on four in terms of like, no, it's every bit as good as like two in my eyes. So, yeah, I, I didn't end up watching the Scream franchise in its entirety until just a few years ago. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the horror novice here. That's mm-hmm. kind of the, the one thing I bring to most of this is just like, Hey, fresh eyes. I didn't grow up with yeah. this stuff. Mm-hmm. So like I, I engaged with this probably for the first time in like 2018, 2019. Yeah. And uh, four was far and away. Like that was, that was that and the original were just such standouts for me that they, automatically at the top of my list anytime I'm ranking screen yeah. movies like and I rewatched them all earlier this year with my girlfriend and I'm like damn these still hold up <laughs> they really do they really do I know for me like this is the this isn't a bad movie and I actually have really enjoyed reading and listening to a lot of the persons that absolutely love this movie. Cause I find like they have been fascinating. Hey, because like, I love these movies. Like everybody knows that scream is like, if not my favorite, then like it's in the top two for my favorite franchises. And I will, I will defend just about any of these movies to the death. There hasn't been a bad one. I love scream three for like the victory lap and Scooby Dooness of it all. And two, four and five, depending on my mood that day would be my like second favorite. Like they, they constantly shift in terms of like where I, I rank them. Um, and there still is like no objectively like bad movie in this series. This is the first one though, that I just felt bored when I was watching it on its initial watch. I took my daughter uh, last Thursday night. Uh, you know, I was able to wrap up some clients early in like, hey, let's let's go to the theater around the corner and go watch this. I tried to use my movie pass subscription. Uh, so I was able to sign back up for that. Um, was all excited. It told me to go check in and I swiped the movie pass card and it got promptly declined. Uh, so it's really good that some things never change. Thank you, Movie Pass. Um, still waiting for their customer service to get back to me after four messages to them. Um track so again like movie pass love you i love the fact that some things are very reliable and that's that movie pass will never ever work so uh yeah contact us about sponsorship opportunities <laughs> next um michael give you a sterling so recommendation i guess that should have been the first sign but um <laughs> watching this movie it was the first time during it i was ever like okay let's wrap this up like i was actually a little bit bored during it um and again like i will never ever ever begrudge someone for like loving a movie so i love the fact that people do adore this like unless it's mandy or outwaters i'll be like okay like we can definitely chat um i am stunned and jess you said like your jaw hit the ground a couple times that's mm-hmm. the one thing that like 
blows my mind because outside of maybe one thing, like nothing felt surprising in this movie. Like literally there were like zero surprises uh, to me at least. And that's just my own take. Um, I honestly feel like the creative team of radio silence, they are absolutely terrified of making this reboot of the series their own. Everything seems so tethered to like the original Wes Craven and uh, Kevin Williamson material. Every decision feels like it plays safe lest they really piss off the fans of it. You see them like when you're a little kid and you're like parents are encouraging you to jump in the pool and you got your little booties on and you walk up and you dip your water in and then you run away crying and you never jump in the water. Like that is what radio silence visually looks like to me making these movies they keep keep tiptoeing up to this line of making it their own and then they like pull back from it as fast as possible like they touched a hot stove um and i just don't want them to do that i they're phenomenal filmmakers like this movie looks gorgeous and they have amazing set pieces in it but it just doesn't feel like their own movie and i don't know if that makes sense maybe we'll tease that out as we kind of get into spoiler territory um the one thing like when mindy launched into her franchise rules so like you're like we're in a franchise and she goes on her big spiel like at that moment one of the character lets out this massive sigh and i have never felt such solidarity with the character like i felt that sigh in my bones like oh god here we go again <laughs> Uh, it just felt tired. Um, so yeah, five stars uh, <laughs> would recommend. Um, but it'll be, it should be fascinating to discuss it. Because like I said, I'm not, I have criticisms of this movie, but I get why people love it. And I'm hoping when this movie, when we're done our episode, I think, you know, with Raina's enthusiasm, maybe we'll go up a half a star. Who knows? Let's see. So no pressure, Raina, to convince anyone there's no pressure on you whatsoever uh, yeah no n never any pressure i've never done any work under pressure at all oh. ever in my life um, <laughs> i will i will say like i've been listening to a lot of sh there's one pod that like we loved it it's the best since the first and pop up and like well you are sponsored by paramount so kind of <laughs> like you know, I don't know, like, well, it would be amazing if they were like, what a sack of dog shit this movie was. Like, have well, you Paramount? I mean, you Mike, all critics are really in the pocket of one studio or another, right? That's true. That's true. You know what? I'm going <laughs> to wait until we're not recording to say what I was about to say. <laughs> uh, really quick, we're going to talk a little bit about the background of this movie. And mercifully because there's only a year between them there's not like a ton of things uh to talk about here so this should be pretty brief um prior to so at the dawn of time no prior to january uh try this again in january of 22 prior to the release of scream its key players all signaled an interest in returning to the franchise the Radio Silence directing team said they had more stories that they would love to tell in the series. Uh, Neve Campbell also said that she would be open to returning again, saying it would seem there are always more stories to be told in Woodsboro and there is a taste for it. So I think if people love this one, I would Im I would imagine there will be an appetite and we, of course, would all love to be a part of it. 
stay tuned. Oh, um, so January of last year, Scream is released and it is widely praised by fans and critics alike. Like at the time, I think people really loved Scream 5 when it came out. Um, I know that it was like one of my favorites from last year. I think I had it ranked number four. I still love that movie. Um, unlike Scream 4, which it underwhelmed at theaters and it did take a few years to start receiving more appreciation. This one hit right from the gate. It pulled in just shy of like 138 million at the box office. So more than 40 million more than Scream 4 uh, with a lower budget by about about half the budget of Scream 4. And I mean, it was released at a time where people were still a bit gun shy about going to the theaters too. So to do that, almost 140 million in January of 2022, like right when I think it was the Omicron variant was kind of hitting hard. I remember, I remember around the time this came out about a third of our school was absent of with kids with COVID at that time. So to do that well is pretty impressive. Yeah. One of the directors like couldn't go to the premiere because of it. If I recall, I did um, not know that. Yeah, one of the one of the members of Radio Silence like uh didn't even go to the premiere because of the Omicron variant. Oh wow. I I don't recall if it was like oh um that he had it or two he has kids and didn't want to put them at risk. Yeah. But um yeah, one of them didn't show up because of it. So it was still like a very real thing that people were hesitant about. What if he didn't go because secretly he thought it was terrible? What if that would be? It's yeah. like, that's his dying. Like, actually, I didn't go because I really hated this movie. I but always it wasn't. So it was. I always, I, I always think about what David Gordon Green and Danny McBride say about like their Halloween reboot. Is they're like, you get like a sense of nervousness when you're rebooting like a beloved franchise, mm-hmm. and yeah. I can't imagine that they were. I can't imagine that they weren't like super nervous that weekend that it was dropping, but also like it could be the opposite. They couldn't, they could have known that they made a good movie and were totally confident in it. Who's to say really? Yeah. You never know with that. And I think the thing with Halloween, there's so many, there's nothing in that series that will ever dilute the original movie. Like as, as you know, and I, how do I put this? Um, someone that I know tweeted about how it's like, oh, it's pretty ironic that people are loving Scream 5 and 6 when it does the same thing that all the other Screams do, but they'll critique Halloween for the same thing. Um, and I didn't respond, but my thought was like, get back to me when Buster Rhymes gets looks at Ghostface and says happy halloween motherfucker or yeah. ghostface is it wrong that i want that though <laughs> it is yes or okay. if ghostface gets stopped by the power of the runes <laughs> then you can get back to me um hey now, hey now. you know great movie it, that's all i'll say you know it, i'm it here for really cult of is. ghostface too by the way i'm i'm here for that we'll wait till we get to the discussion because i will am right there yeah. too all right. Um, I feel like I'm tipping my hand super early today. I also feel like I'm talking way too much. So I apologize to all of my co- uh, co-hosts today. Um, January last year, Screams really, I already said that. Early February 2022, 
Spyglass and Paramount announced Scream 6 will move forward with its directors, Matthew Bettinelli open and Tyler Gillette returning. The directing duo released the statement, working with such a wonderful and talented family of creators and in the lineage Wes and Kevin so expertly built has been the thrill of a lifetime. And we're so excited to bring the next chapter in the Scream saga to life. And I would say same, like I was definitely on board for more of what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, June 2022, Neve Campbell announces that she's not returning for Scream 6 after contract negotiations with Paramount fall through. Uh, basically, the studio doesn't want to pay Campbell what she feels rightfully what she's worth to the project. And at the time, uh, Campbell says, as a woman, I have to work extremely hard in my career to establish my value, especially when it comes to Scream. I felt the offer that was presented to me did not equate to the value I've brought to the franchise. It's been a very difficult decision to move on to all my Scream fans. I love you. You always have been so incredibly supportive to me. I'm forever grateful to you and to what this franchise has given me over the past 25 years. Um, pretty shocking to see her go. Pretty shocking. to and at No number has ever been thrown out. So unless she was asking for, like, say, Robert Downey Jr. money in Iron Man sequels, it's hard to know, like, what she asked for, that they would say, no, that's too much. Um, Without getting into whether, without getting into the character of Sydney being gone in Scream 6, what do we make of Campbell, like, walking away from the franchise, at least for now? I support her 100%. I'm glad she knows her worth. Like, she is such an icon and she's such like she has made that series what it is. I'm not um, denigrating the efforts of everybody else, but a lot of people, when they think of scream, they think of Sydney Prescott. And I'm mm-hmm. glad, especially as a woman in Hollywood that she says, no, I, you're not going to lowball me on this. So I'm going to have to walk away. I'm, I'm proud of her. I, um, I think the movie works without her, but I'm not saying I didn't miss her just because I love Sydney so much, but I'm, I'm proud of her for knowing her worth and sticking to it. I I hate that she's in that position, of course, that they did that to her, but yeah. Yeah. In the awards, in the immortal words of the, the late great Jessica Walter, good for her. (laughs) Um, good for her for, for knowing what she's worth and for, you know, calling them on it, um, for not accepting the low ball, like good for her. Um, Am I bummed? Was I bummed going into this that I knew she wasn't going to be in it? Hell yeah. Um, but I completely understand and completely support her position. Um, and I agree. I, everything you said, Jess, ditto, like 100%. Like, Sydney Prescott is my favorite final girl. Like, if, if, you, if you're ranking final girls, she's, she's my number one. Um, and it's it, in large part, it's because of what Nev brings to the table. Like, it's, it seems very rare to me that there's an entire horror franchise built around the final girl and not the slasher. And that's kind of a thing that's always made Scream as a franchise stand out to me. And one of the reasons why I love it so much is because of that, because of that intentionality. Um, and so to not have her, yeah, it was a big fucking bummer. Uh, Mike, you're going to hate me because I have a answer I can say on the record and an answer I can say off the record. (laughs) That's all right. The power Um, of editing compels you. So on the record answer first. Um, Unfortunately, like that's the way I 
the way I feel about the whole Nev Campbell situation is unfortunately that's kind of just the entire studio system in Hollywood. It's like, it's like the money had to go elsewhere, obviously, because this is a very expensive screen movie. And I, I totally like, I, I don't know if David Arquette said this, but like, he was just kind of like, Oh, well, the studio decides where the money goes, and if you want to like bring your vision to life, you kind of have to make compromises somewhere. So I get it. It sucks that it's like it sucks that that's what it took to get the series to that's move a, beyond Sydney. That's a big compromise. Yeah, that is it, like a compromise to me would be like one less like one of your set pieces goes you know what mm -hmm. i mean like we have to shave maybe you spend less time in the shrine like getting rid of the star of the whole franchise like that seems like more than a compromise but i'm sorry i'm kind of butting in there oh no 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 and and on the surface it does but i mean we never really know the inner workings of like the choices that were made on that like the choice that was made to cut Sydney instead of a set piece. So I'll, I'll just say for, I am, I totally understand where Nev Campbell is coming from. Right. To me, she's more important to the scream franchise than Laurie Strode is to the Halloween franchise. Yes. Cause you have made some fantastic Halloween movies without Jamie Lee Curtis. And I will point you to the direction of three, four, five and six. And also I, Really, I love Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, and I've come around on his original. Uh, and that's not to, Jamie Lee Curtis is obviously, obviously, I mean, you don't win an Oscar for Halloween ends and not are not a complete <laughs> icon. Um, she's just one of the best. But I think Sydney to me, like it's the only series where the final girl is more important than the villain. And at the same time, I am totally OK with Sydney not being in this movie and moving on, like giving her that quote unquote happy ending. And to be honest, like she could take Gail with her as well. I don't need any of the original cast members anymore. Let's make this about the core four core four adventures drink in five star review. Right. I mean, and good for Nev Campbell also for saying like, this is what I'm worth to the series. If you're, if I'm going to come back and do this, then this is what I want. Um, so yeah, that's that's my kind of thought on that. But we don't get Sydney Prescott. What we get is Hayden Pantier returning as fan favorite Kirby Reed, which listeners, I'm sorry, but that's kind of like when you're a kid and you're like, I want to go to McDonald's. And mom is like, we have McDonald's at home. And she gives you like that homemade burger from a frying pan with Wonder Bread on it with the grease soaking through like that is the downgrade i would Ooh, i love those burgers i was gonna say mike <laughs> you're kind of you're kind of speaking my love language right now uh, i'm like that's an upgrade what are you talking about <laughs> that is not enough i Maybe, love my mom she has many talents cooking wasn't isn't one of them that was gonna be my next question okay we're she does make really good brownies though okay um i'm still keeping that in some of you listeners will understand i don't love Kirby as I have a rank third in terms of my like audience surrogate. It it's she's below Mindy and Randy as far as I'm concerned. I like Kirby. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I needed her here. No, 
But I, I gen- well, I don't think the movie knows what to do with her. Nope. That's, I think that's why I don't really need her no. here. But I love that character. It's one of the highlights of Scream 4. And again, what I love about Scream 4 is they really take the time to introduce you to a new cast of characters, mm-hmm. to a new group of kids. Scream 5 does the exact same thing. They introduce you to a new group of characters, a new ca- a new, a new group of kids. Um, and Kirby was one of those. And I thought they did a really good job of introducing her, making her likable. And you you feel it when she dies. You do. And that's something that I think w- these movies can do particularly well is because they're so f- character focused and character driven, you care about the characters when they die. Um, and Kirby coming back, I don't know if I feel like it cheapens for, I don't think it cheapens for, but again, would have liked more from that character other than just you know, the scene of her and Mindy out geeking each other or trying to out geek each other, mm-hmm. um, which isn't really a spoiler, but it kind of is. I'm sorry. But I mean that I want more from that character than what they give me. No. And I don't feel like, again, as much as I love that character in Scream 4, I don't really like her here. No. No. And it's just like you said, like they just don't really have a lot for for her to do in this movie except maybe like like the the um snark between her and gail weathers like you're supposed to think there's some undercurrent of a rivalry between them and i'm like where is that coming from i don't even remember a scene where the two of them interacted in scream Four with one another let alone have some sort of snark fest um presumably that all happened off camera between movies i guess i guess that must be it but so they begin filming they let fans know like this is going to hit theaters march 10th 2003 so very quick turnaround time um in september paramount starts spreading the news that the film was going to leave the woodsboro setting for new york city which can mean only one thing. This film is getting shot in Canada, which they <laughs> depart from Montreal uh, and they shoot um, during the summer with the film wrapping in August. The marketing starts to hit. People are excited for Ghostface takes Manhattan. And I think that is enough background for, Oh, the only other thing is with regards to Paramount and Nev Campbell parting ways, Paramount gambled and you can say they won like this movie opens up to the largest opening for any of the scream movies at over and it beat its expectations by a pretty good amount. Like it opens over 43 million. They were predicting around 35. That is a substantial amount over what they were expecting. It's already, and that's just in the U S it's already profitable, Paramount and Spyglass bet that fans wouldn't mind not having Sidney Prescott back. And for the most part, they're correct. I mean, you have to say they were right in saying, you know what, we can save that money. But um, but Mike, I thought -hmm. I thought everybody on Twitter was boycotting this movie because Sidney wasn't in it. I thought everybody was like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. no, Sidney, no watch. Yeah. What happened? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I think we sometimes overestimate how many people are terminally online. 
Yeah, yeah, right. It was it was that ridiculous man. I remember when all that news came out. Everyone's like, "A scream movie without Sydney, you won't catch me watching it." And then, like, <laughs> opening theater, they're like, "Oh, I bought the popcorn bucket and then mm-hmm. the cup, <laughs> and I'm here opening night." It's like, come on, like we none of us are immune to franchises we love. Like, no, mm-hmm. right? But like, I all. I'll also say part of the opening I think you can attribute is to the goodwill that Scream 5 built. Because (laughs) usually what happens is like it's the movie after like A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4 had the largest opening of any of the Elm Street movies. Now, I love that movie. I adore that movie. Um, It's had but it did better than Part 3. I actually maybe enjoy it a bit more than part three at this point, but I'm weird. Um, part three is the fan favorite, right? Did, uh, so the goodwill of part three is why part four did so well in part. Did, was was that the case with Halloween Kills? Did Halloween Kills open better than 2018 because of the goodwill it, that it, one bought? It didn't, but that was also like Halloween Kills and Ends. They both came out in Paramount. I'm sorry, Peacock, Day and Date. Oh yeah, uh, totally so forgot about to, that. Yeah, it's really hard to, and I'm thinking more in terms of like as franchises go on. But even like Elm Street Two made more than Part One, and I don't okay. think it's because Elm Street Two is better as much. I love Part Two. I adore. It's the first one I ever watched, but I think Part One built so much goodwill. And then the opposite is true when you have an entry that like is awful it's the next movie that suffers. And you saw that like Jason lives is worlds better than a new beginning, but a new beginning pissed off fans so much that like every Friday, the 13th movie after that suffered. Well, and then, and then I know for a fact that Halloween ends, it's opening, even though it had day and date with Peacock, like kills Mm -hmm. it's opening was far lower than Halloween kills. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think Kills did a lot of, for Halloween fans, it did a lot of damage to the Halloween, to that franchise, or at least the David Gordon Green version of it. And then when word started to leak out about Corey and like what's going on, I think people are like, you know what, I'll watch this one at home. And I watch both Kills and Ends at home. Um, I watched actually ends with my friends when we were in Telluride for the first night of the festival. We watched it at the condo and we're like, what the fuck is this? Um, go back to our episodes and kills and ends. Still haven't uh, seen those. Yeah. I saw them watch. both in uh Dolby opening weekend. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. So let's get to the movie discussion. Let's, let's get to that. Cause that's why you, came to the show everybody you dropping spoilers from this point on we will be not only dropping hot takes and dropping knowledge we'll be dropping spoilers so if you haven't seen scream six yet and are spoiler adverse you know we are going to be spoiling the movie Kim, it's hard to uh, talk about it without spoilers no it is it is it, it really is it really unless you do like redacted or blur everything out <laughs> beep everything out it really yeah, is beep everything and there is a lot to talk here. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask y'all first, what do we make of the pre-credits role to this? How do we feel about, because I feel for most people that have seen Scream 6, the opening set piece is one of the highlights for them. But what do you all make of it? 
This was one of those jaw-dropping moments for me when the mask comes off mm-hmm. after Samara Weaving's character is killed. I I will admit to being a Samara Weaving fangirl, I get the criticisms that her character is not very bright, especially considering what she does for a living. She's an associate professor of film studies, she specializes in 20th century slashers, and she gets lured into a dark alley away from people, you know, with a Tinder match who is so far out of her league. It's not even funny. Um, I mean, out of her league or below her, league? below her league, below her. Oh, okay. League. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, no, no so way. So far her league. That would have yeah. been the hottest take. Oh my God. No, no. Show. Random Joe Schmo <laughs> is not hotter than Samara weaving. No way no. below her league way below her league. I was like, okay. wow. Was... From one Tinder photo way out of her league. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> shirtless dude posing with a dog all he needed was to be holding up a picture of a fish exactly and it would have been like the most generic <laughs> yeah ever. no i was i was honestly really distracted by how beautiful she looked and how generic that guy looked that i was like why in the world is she meeting mm-hmm. this person so i will admit to being distracted during that scene um but no that was one of the jaw-dropping moments for me when the mask came off i was like oh shit we are in for a ride um, which was not how I ultimately felt at the end of the movie, but I was really excited despite how foolish her actions might have been. So I, I, they had me from the beginning with this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I'll go. Um, I felt the same way. I was very shocked at that reveal that like, oh, she gets killed by Ghostface and first things first, he takes off the mask and reveals to the audience who he was. Um that kind of really blew the doors open for my expectations for this movie. I was like, whoa, this might be one of those movies where anything goes and where he gets back to the apartment and he becomes a victim of his ghost face itself himself. And Ghostface straight up says, who gives a fuck about movies, mm-hmm. which totally lays down the expectation of like oh it's not gonna be the corny ghost face calls of like i want to play a game like here's movie trivia like no this is just somebody who's using the ghost face persona to hack up and slash bodies and deliver a body count and to me i always wanted the series to move past the meta commentary stuff i'm like there's a difference between just doing a weak meta commentary and doing a strong slasher film. And that's what I think Scream 6 sets out to establish. I'll go in more as we get through the movie, but Mm -hmm. the thoughts from the opening alone are like, okay, that we're, we're forging a different path for this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did you make of Samara Weaving's characters? Jess, I think you kind of hit it. And that it might be the least intelligent. No, that's not fair to say. It might be the character that makes the least intelligent decisions in any of these six movies, right? Mm-hmm. I yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Raina. Oh no, no, no. You you first. I'm. I I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just honestly I. It might be just because, not just that I have a crush on her, but because she's she has such like a warm presence that I was rooting for her. I wasn't like, oh, you idiot, you know, what are you doing? I was really like, she's out on a first date, she's nervous, she's it's awkward and giggly, and oh, he can't find it. I, I wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt, 
And I thought, I mean, a lot of people did call that Samara Weaving would be the opening kill because we've established Mm -hmm. at this point, you know, you have, you know, these famous faces, you've got Drew Barrymore, you've got Jada Pinkett, these people who get killed off first. Um, So I, I didn't hate this opening kill. I think Mike, you kind of hated it just because of the decisions that she makes. Um, But I gave her a lot more benefit of the doubt, I think. Just little things, not even the going down the alley because like what was different was like the alley you could see both ends of it like it wasn't necessarily a really big one it was more like a side street than an alley but then when as soon as he's like hey you you know the the ghost face folk the ghost face voice comes on it's like don't you feel pretty dumb teaching slasher movies and you're alone in an alley at that point to not immediately start backpedaling yeah back to safety just feels like oh come on like no i think what i'll do is i'll just stand here and um flail about a little bit and just get them or stay stationary really so i make for a nice easy target in white so i stand out against the darkness Mm -hmm. around me (laughs) i i i think i have like a different read of this entire opening scene with her going down the alley like establishing oh she knows about slasher movies she shouldn't be making dumb decisions like this i think it plays into the idea of like oh throughout the series if you have a knowledge of horror movies you live pretty long like randy lived like one and a half movies mindy lived kirby lived up until the very end and then lived in this movie it i think it plays into like oh well usually in these movies if you have a knowledge of horror movies you live so here, here's a character that knows about slasher movies getting killed first and foremost. It's I read it as it's establishing your knowledge of movies is not going to save you in this movie. Mm-hmm. I like that um, take. I like that read a lot. That's a actually. smart take. I guess I never feel like I get to know the character. Like when you think of like Casey Becker, within like the 12 minutes she's on screen, you feel like you get to know her a bit and you really like her uh jada mm-hmm. pinkett smith's character in scream 2 uh very divisive like i've seen some people like post like i've never been more happy to see a character killed uh i kind of yeah i've Bad seen take. that <laughs> um i wouldn't agree with that take um i you know you in the 12 minutes that she's on screen you really enjoy her um i enjoy this character because i enjoy samara weaving but i never feel like i'm watching a character i feel like i'm watching samara weaving do her friends uh from ready or not a solid i i i do absolutely see where you're coming from there mike and i think what you said about them not developing her character stretch that across this whole fucking movie Mm -hmm. like i feel like every new character we're introduced to just has a big target painted on their back yeah in one way or another definitely talk that i I know i know we're going to get more into that but like Mm -hmm. that's kind of what this movie does um or at least at least the i i don't see a lot of that i want more of that because again that's what i like about this franchise this is the franchise that cares about the characters that cares about the victims it's not the franchise it's all about the slasher it's not all about the villain um which is what i love about it um so yeah like i I liked the intro, but by the same token, it the the cold opens of these movies are probably some of the best parts of each film. Honestly, if I'm being real honest, like they're all really good. Um, and this one is still really good. 
But if I'm measuring it against every other cold open in the franchise, it might still be my least favorite. Mm -hmm. But that's not to say that I don't like it, that I'm not having a good time with it. And when you, when Ghostface takes off his mask and it's Tony Revolori, I'm like, this isn't a screen movie. What are we doing here? And then there was a part of me that's like, holy shit, is this going to be a Columbo thing where we actually follow Ghostface for a movie? Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it's like, well, how did how do they figure out who it is? That would be an interesting, fun direction to take the Scream oh. franchise. That's not where we go because we hard reset at the end of the cold open and now we're in a regular Scream movie again. Oh. Um, but like the the because I, I just got done finished watching uh, po- Poker Face uh, last week. And that Poker Face is very much like a Rockford Files Columbo kind of thing. What if Columbo was Natasha Leone? Yes. Yes, please. I love yeah. all of that. <laughs> but like, what if Scream was a Columbo, sh- like an episode of Columbo? Like, I think that's an interesting diversion because the Scream franchise has always been three things. It has been a slasher franchise first and foremost. It's been a whodunit second. And it's been uh, a meta commentary third. And I think the best entries in the franchise balance all three of those really, really well. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that there have been so many movies that have been able to do that really well is honestly very impressive because that is mm-hmm. that is not an easy feat to pull off mm-hmm. six times. No. I had that same thought as you the moment that uh, Jason pulls off his mask. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait a minute, this this is going to be something very interesting. Like, cause we just finished poker face as well. And now we're doing Columbo to which my daughter said, Peter Falk is a snack. So, yes, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> so she's good taste. Um, I'm like, this could be really fascinating where we are in on it this time and know who the killer is, especially when you know that like he's friends with Tara in that group. Like he, you know, has that moment like that to me was like, this could be fucking fantastic. I like where this is going. That to be quite honest, like went out the window when he answers his phone in his apartment and you're like, Oh, it's just going to be another, like it's a twist on the opening kills for a change, but I'm not invested in this character where, you know, like he's, I just saw him butcher a woman, in an alleyway like i don't really have any sort of investment in him living like Mm -hmm. i do with the characters and the other openings where you're like you want to see them make it through i also thought this could be like a scream having its batman court of owls moment Uh, Mm -hmm. and for so with this idea that there's a whole league of villains that are kind of conspiring to take down your core group of characters and i thought cult of ghostface that could have been amazing. That's yeah, I, I would have loved a cult of coat face. So it is, you know, there are some really good bits of the, it's, it's again, like everything in this movie, it's shot incredibly well. Uh, I do love the Jason takes Manhattan is on the screen. Uh, I do really, and it's not an obvious part of it. That's a nice little fun nod. Uh, I like the podcasting posters up on the wall for we hate movies and last podcast. Although listen, production teams like we're pretty positive on all these franchises get in touch um but I just i'm sure the licensing fees will be a lot cheaper for this podcast (laughs) than a lot of the other ones i'm just throw me one of those ghost face cups um (laughs) so yeah i i just it didn't it just didn't do it and you also can't have a ghost face killer named greg i'm sorry there's nothing about the name greg 
suggest. Do I sound like a Trevor to you? Yeah, Greg yeah, doesn't work. Just no, Trevor does. Yeah. All right, we move on. We, we are reintroduced to our core group of characters. One, one more thing before we get off the cold open, Mike. Sorry. Um, I I felt personally that the who who gives a fuck about movies. Um, I just I was like I do that. That kind of felt mm-hmm. like a little bit of a middle finger yeah. to me. I was like, damn. Well, why are we here then? then? All right, then. Why did I <laughs> your your knowledge of horror will not save you. I stand yeah. by I mean, that. <laughs> look, Raina, I'm never the guy that's gonna be that's gonna survive the slasher movie. I'm I. Yeah, my knowledge of anything is not going to save me at any point. Like I'm not, I'm not the guy that walks out of the horror movie alive. I'm no. the first one to go in a zombie movie. <laughs> I, I might make it like second or third to die in a slasher movie, but no. I, if I'm in a horror movie, I'm dying out first. So yeah. nothing will save me in any horror movie. <laughs> so we go from that. We get our reintroduction of our main characters. We know that, like, we get the um, therapist scene with Sam and her psychiatrist. And I am begging, I'm returning. I am begging, 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 begging film sets. If we're going to have intimacy coordinators, which is a good thing, we should keep doing that. We need to have like mental health coordinators as well, because like we cannot have these like shitty representations of therapy on screen in every fucking movie. Cause yep. like every movie is like you are the worst possible. And I'm not like the world's greatest therapist yet. Uh, like I'm still new. I'm still learning. Um, I've been waiting but, on this rant from you, Mike, like so much. I've been waiting I am on better than this motherfucker who just like stops her. And there mid rant. And there are times you will tell a client like just so you know like this is where confidentiality has its limits so you may want to choose what you say carefully you will you can say that to a client um for him to just like go into full panic mode like she's about to bust out a knife and stick stab him to death when all she's saying is this is something i experienced this is how it made me feel when I experienced it. She's very clearly talking about the past. Right. And he's like, I now have to report you like, no, no, you don't. Uh, that is not what. And I think I popped it in my notes here because I always get the case incorrect off the top of my head. And I apologize to my. My uh, professors who would kill me for not knowing this, but it's Tesseract versus Regents. I remembered before I found it here. So the case of like Tesseract versus Regents is a case that was before the Supreme Court uh, where a psychiatrist was seeing a client who said, when I leave here, I am going to hurt my girlfriend because she's made me really angry. And he left. The therapist didn't think to contact the woman or authorities to let them know that this person was in danger. That person went on to murder his girlfriend. So it's come to be. It's part of our ethical code. Like you have a duty to warn if a client presents clear and present danger to themselves or others. And that's part of our code of ethics. That's not this case here. So I'm begging, 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 begging. Please have better therapist representation on screen. So, so um, um, sorry to interject. So, um, no, please do. It's totally not accurate when she says, "Like I haven't gone to therapy in a while." <laughs> like one that explains a lot with me, but two, um, 
so when she says that she stabbed her boyfriend 22 times and slit his throat and that it felt good uh, how how should have he reacted out of curiosity how would i have reacted how would i have reacted to that um sure yeah would have shit pardon me would have shit my pants quietly um mm-hmm. but it would have been quiet about it um because say, that doesn't stay quiet for long because eventually the smell is going to catch up to eventually everybody will get to you um but no i have been in situations where i have had clients talk about very violent things they have done to other people in the mm-hmm. past and how they have felt when they've done it and that feeling of power that they had. And I won't go into detail because I don't want to give any identifying. I don't want to give anything that could possibly ever identify one of my clients in a situation like this. And for me, it's about, okay, well let's process that moment. What, and it would be basically what I would describe like the Sherlock Holmesing of it going through like the, okay, who was it towards? What was it about that person that made that violent act feels so empowering. What have you done since that moment? Has it repeated itself? Have you had urges to repeat that moment towards others? Who are those persons trying to uncover? Is there anyone that might be in danger? Um, what, what sort of plan do you have towards a person? Like, why does this person upset you? And what sort of plan do you have to harm them? Mm-hmm. that is the key part of it is like is there a plan is there mm-hmm. an act because i think every person has gotten so mad at someone they have said i am so mad at so and so i could punch them in the fucking face i could kill them right if you mm-hmm. were called the cops every time someone said i'm so mad i could kill them everybody would be in jail mm-hmm. yeah? yeah it's not this is not minority report so it's really mm-hmm. about processing that. The best I can say is like it's really about processing that event that happened at the end of Scream Five. Why did it feel right? What about it? You know, had and what has it been like for you since then? What sort of feelings do you experience about it now? What sort of feelings do you have about learning that your father, you know, was a prolific, prolific spree killer? And how do you feel? How do you feel like his story is entangled with your own? And we would probably do a lot of narrative therapy, which is about disentangling the problem from the inner self and looking at it as an external factor. What I mean by that is when someone says like, well, I'm an anxious person. It's like, no, it's like your anxiety is not a a core part of you. It is a problem to be removed and explored and examined as an external factor not something that has to be a core part of who you are. That's one of the tenets of, of Michael White's narrative therapy. I don't know if that makes any sense. I don't know if I'm getting stupid. No, 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 Um, it it does. This is all very fascinating to learn. mm -hmm. Like how, how therapists would go about navigating a situation like this. What I wouldn't do is kick the person out of my office and have a freak out. Cause then what I'm doing, if this person represents a danger, I am sending them out at that point in a very agitated state. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I am. And I, when she, when, when Sam says it felt right, I've done. Okay. If, if he feels like, I think he does say he reports her. Uh, It's found out later that he did report her to the authorities, but we have no idea who she feels agitated towards. So we don't know who do we have to warn here? Well, and also the fact that, 
I mean, this is something that happened a year ago in California. Mm-hmm. Like, and the cops I'm a, have already investigated it. We see them at the house at the end of Scream 5. Like, they're there. Like, what? why is? Why does he feel the need to report this? This mm-hmm. is this is over and done. Yeah. Like, if he did interrogated it for even a second, that would have been on the table. He wouldn't have needed it. Mm-hmm. Why, why even involve the police? And, and I think the police would probably look into it and go, Oh, this is what happened. Oh, it was last year. Oh, okay. And it's all things that are a very public record. Mm -hmm. I think just for narrative purposes to get like the cops suspicious on her as a character. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously they have to take some liberties with it. There's a million ways to do it. I guess like it just bothers me that I just always see the shittiest therapist in movies and like if we're going to have if we're taking the proactive steps of having intimacy coordinators on set for romantic scenes which is a positive good and welcome development correct i think we need to keep person's mental health at the forefront as well and let's have accurate representations or plausible representations of how mental health should be handled as well, especially when it comes to things like this. And there is probably a swath of listeners rolling their eyes into the back of their heads right now as I say this, but I just kind of wanted to, I don't want to make it the thrust of the episode, but let them roll, Mike, let them roll. Yeah. It's important to talk about because, you know, mental health representation is really common in horror movies and Mm -hmm. it's usually not the greatest, as you say, like from, from both sides with therapists and depicting people who suffer from mental health issues. Sometimes it's really problematic. So it's good to talk it out and Mm -hmm. discuss these issues. Yeah. But we get our reintroduction after that of all our characters uh, Tara has mostly moved on. Um, Chad and Mindy seem pretty unaffected by the events of Scream 5, which to me is always funny because like Chad came the closest to dying aside from Tara of any of them. Like he should be dead. Yeah. Um, yet him and his sister seem pretty unaffected by anything. They're just breezing through life. Um Tara decides to make a bad decision about going upstairs with, is it Frank, Freddie? I can't remember the dude's name. Do you, uh, so let me ask you this, Mike, do you, do you think that that bad decision that she's getting ready to make is not an extension of her coping or trying to, to cope with the things that happened to her last year? What do you all think? I have some thoughts on it, but I've kind of talked for a bunch so what do we think of like Tara's decision to say like, you know what? I'm young, I'm drunk, I'm attractive. He looks pretty good. I don't mind going upstairs with him after like a 30 second conversation. Also, his name is Frankie. Okay. So do not Frankie put any respect says, on it, but Frankie <laughs> says, relax. Okay. Um, what do we think of that choice? I'm, I mean, as somebody who's been in that situation of coping and done that exact same thing, I think it's somewhat pretty accurate to an extent, depending on the person. Because, like, I don't know, maybe I'm telling a little bit too much about myself here. But, um, you know, when you're coping with something that you don't really quite know how to navigate, which obviously I do not know how you would navigate like a slasher massacre, you make some irrational decisions. And one of those is like pleasures of the flesh, be it with whoever. 
Um, so I didn't think like, oh, that character would never act like that. I thought like, oh, well, everybody copes with trauma in their own way. And she's still trying to navigate how she's even going to cope with it. Because like, like at this point in the movie, I assume she hasn't even tried considering within six months they moved to New York City and hit the reset right. button on their life. And I get the impression, I mean, again, based on what Sam is telling us, Tara has not tried to to process these emotions at all, which tells me that maybe this is, in fact, her attempt, at least in some way, of trying to cope, of trying to to wrestle with the thing. And and again, part of that can be acting out in various ways. It, it you know sometimes it's substances, sometimes it's um, sexual connections. Like they can take any form. Some I'm generally food for me, but you know, that's, that's my cross to bear. Um, but, and you know, everyone's got their ways of coping with, with things. And I don't know, it, it felt like based on what we're, what we're told about these characters, it, it, this feels like her wrestling with that. Yeah. It, yeah. it makes. Oh, oh no, I was just, <laughs> I, I was just going to interject real fast that, um, yeah, like we, we see how bad it is from Sam's side that like, oh, her boyfriend was Ghostface, but we never really stop to think and realize, oh, Tara's best friend was also Ghostface. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, she's and, she sees and what happened. The one that attacked her too, right? Yeah, her best friend is the one that attacked her in the beginning of that movie as well. Mm-hmm. And I think she's seen what happened to Sydney. Like this took over Sydney's life. And she is so young and she doesn't want to be the tragedy girl for the rest of her life. She doesn't want to be this person. So she wants to be young and have fun. And I see that as her actively, like she gets really, really drunk. Like she's stumbling around and slurring her words and saying, okay, yeah, let's go with this guy. Like I see that as her actively saying, I'm not going to be defined by my trauma. I'm not going to be defined by my tragedy. I'm going to be young and have fun. I'm not, um, saying that it's necessarily a wise or unwise decision. Um, I'm glad her friends were there to um, step up for her and she thanked them later, which I think proves that they did the right thing. Um, But yeah, this is her trying to bury that trauma and not have to look at it, not deal with it and not be defined by it because she doesn't want to be, you know, we see how the public treats Sam, you know, with the, we'll get into this with everybody thinking that she was the real ghost face and how she's kind of defined by this tragedy and Tara just, she wants to be Tara and be young and have fun. Like this makes total sense to me. Yeah. I I think what tips it over to like being a bad decision is when he grabs her to like drag her up the stairs Mm -hmm. before that it's, I mean, she has some agency, like they're both drunk and she, but she knows enough when she takes a few seconds of process when he's like, well, I have, some fireball upstairs. She like takes a few seconds of pause and it's like, you know what? What the fuck? Why yeah. not? Mm-hmm. Um, still not a good thing to do in that moment. And you would appreciate it more if maybe she would honestly, if she wasn't inebriated at that moment, because right. yeah, it's just going to lead to some really bad decisions. So I appreciate her friends stepping in for her at that mm-hmm. moment, but she, it feels like she's making her own choices uh, in these moments. And one thing that I, did really love about the the denouement of the scene is when she confronts Sam and says, I'm not going to let three bad days define the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that depiction of what I would call acute trauma 
one where you're experiencing like traumatic effects for uh, less than for about 30 days basically you're not quite stepping into post-traumatic uh, stress disorder it's more you have those symptoms but for a very short period of time she is maybe not facing up to her traumatic events but she's like doing her best to cope and move on and say at the very least i'm not going to let this define me i appreciate that reaction more and I think it's a, a more accurate representation of how persons may react than say Laurie Strode in Halloween 2018, where she has like the awful events of that one day have come to define the next 40 to 50 years of her life. Mm-hmm. And not to say that that doesn't happen, but this felt more accurate. Um, and when, again, like not to get too much into the weeds, but there were times when I've done trauma counseling and before you dive into the trauma, you get more into what do you need to get through Tuesday? Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you need for a, a goal? What do you need to just get through today? Let's get you on a path where you can face each day and it's not unbearable. And then maybe we'll be ready to dive in the trauma. You may not be ready to do that yet. Um, I don't think having her big sister say, no, you have to process this and be reminded of it every single fucking day is going to help her in any way, shape or form because she's not ready to do that. Okay. So we get, um, I think like you put it, Steve, we get the character uh, of what is it? Anika, who is Mindy's girlfriend, who is there to say, hey, turn on the TV like that is her function in this movie. Um, And we find out that there's been more ghost face killings and we get to the bodega scene, which I think might be the one of the best sequences in the whole movie. It's really good. It's really, really good. Um, Just the the way that it. And and again, you see so much of it in the trailer. Like it was the it was most of the trailer, um, and most of it is in the trailer. But again, you don't know how they get out of that. But it that I think more than any other scene in the movie feels very New York to me. Um, you know, the guy going, you know, hey, there's a line. What are you doing? And and then immediately stepping up, stepping to Ghostface as soon as Ghostface walks, mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh, you got a problem, buddy?" Like just. That feels more than almost I think any other scene in the movie that feels very New York. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I don't know. I love the um, I, I love the action of it. I love the fr- like I'm really fond of action scenes that take geography into perspective, which is why one of my favorite things you can do in any haunted house movie is actually like give me a layout of the house so I know where everything is so I can understand the spatial geography so I can everything makes sense later. James Cameron does that in Titanic and it's fucking brilliant. Like you understand exactly why that boat sinks so that when the boat's sinking, you're like, oh, I this is explained to me. I know I get this. But you understand because it's every bodega you've ever been to or every like convenience store you've ever been to so you absolutely understand the geography of it and that helps the action and makes it feel very compelling and very real and very like how the fuck would i respond in a in a in a situation like this probably not as well again i'm the first guy to die in a movie um but like i i love the way that they're able to uh to to navigate i i don't know i think it's a great scene Mm mm-hmm yeah, and I'm I'm a sucker for mirrors in horror movies, and I like the way they use that corner mirror, the kind of 
um, flexed out mirror um, to convex. Yeah. Convex. Thank you. That's what I'm looking for. Um, that to open up the space a little more, but still keep it cramped. Like it's claustrophobic, but it opens it up at the same time, which I think is really smart. Um, yeah. I was not disappointed, even though we did like Stephen said, see most of that in the trailer just because it was done so well. And I like the slowed down cat and mouse moments like I, I love seeing Ghostface eat shit I love seeing him get hit in the head with an iron or a frying pan or whatever um but I also I always love it when that happens it's so fun but I also just love the like they donate around do you think they donate Ghostface's brains to like CTE <laughs> centers you know to concussion they should because like every I think you would find that every Ghostface killer has like CTE if you were to examine their brains because they take fucking beatings in every single movie. One thing that I always tell people when they ask me why Ghostface is one of my favorite slashers, it's because he's the only slasher that takes pratfalls. Mm-hmm. Like Ghostface will ju- he will. He'll eat fucking shit no. and just like fall flat on his ass. In every movie, Ghostface is oh. is made to fall flat on his ass, usually within the opening set piece of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and it, I I fucking love that. Like, that is one of my favorite things about that slasher. And again, I know it's a different character in every movie necessarily, but but again, that's one of my favorite things about Ghostface is he is quintessentially human. Yes, um, he's not like this undead thing or this like supernatural force of nature or this dream being he's just a dude in a, in a costume that's it yeah. mm-hmm. and i um, like i'm sorry and it jumped in oh no 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 i go ahead finish that thought because i'm about to say something totally different about this scene <laughs> no no i'll say two things really quick uh i love Ghostface with a shotgun i mean like add that in i am all about yes something like that i really like the way that was it made sense i know some people seemed up in arms no pun intended about like why is he using a gun it's like have you watched any of the other movies he uses a gun all the time um i will say what it does is it highlights a problem i have with the movie is that there's three deaths in this sequence you don't know anything about them and it's kind of like my biggest complaint of the movie. Like, what is the kill that has the most emotional impact in that movie? Is it the first bald bodega customer that has a line or the bald <laughs> bodega customer that doesn't have a line? And I'm not kidding in that I think it's like the store owner is probably the most impactful death in this movie in terms of having an emotional wallop. Because it's just this dude who's running his corner store and... All of a sudden, he's got these two women run in that are like asking for help. And because of that, he gets a shotgun to the skull and he even tries to help them like by like and he's scared out of his mind. He's trying to throw them the keys and get them out the door. And it's like this poor dude. There's no other death in this movie that has any sort of emotional impact at all. They want it to be Annika, but again, her her function as a character up to this point exists to barely be, hey guys, this thing's on TV. She's a human Alexa that she like turn on the television. That's it. That's what she she, she's also the box you tick. She she's the you know to remind you that that Mindy is queer, as you said before we started recording. Like that again, it 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 feels I, I don't, and I'm going to probably use this word more than once in this recording. It feels fairly perfunctory. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Raina. What's your hot um, take on this scene? Well, one, 
I really love this scene and the tension that like the gradual tension that builds up from like, oh, the typical scream chase to the, oh, we're inside a public space now. Ghostface does not care and instantly kills numerous people. Um, the scene is also really fun in 4DX um, <laughs> because whenever the shotgun went off, the seats would rumble and the strobe lights mm-hmm. would flash to imitate the muzzle flare flash oh that's awesome so it was like when the shotgun went off the whole room lit up for like a split second (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of cool i do kind of like that so yeah and whenever like the shelf was like kicked down or anything like the seeds just like shook along with it it was a ton of fun um i do i do want to comment how people were pissed off about ghostface using firearms because again to mike's point have you seen the other movies and also like i'm all for firearms being used in slasher movies because firearms are fucking scary like you okay you cannot tell me that like a a a big old pump shotgun is not as scary as like a kitchen knife in this scene Mm -hmm. like and they established like straight up this thing is like destructive like ghostface will like pop off a shot into somebody and like totally erase them from existence using it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it builds up that tension because in my opinion, a pump shotgun is more accurate than a, than a kitchen knife. So Sam and Tara are really in this like dangerous situation where they're confined in a small space and have to try and get out of this situation. Um, and to me, the screen movies, I, I, I'd like to say that most of the entries play with space very well, but none have really tried to do the small space. Like it's either just like a big house, a big mansion, a college, but a small like bodega is pretty terrifying if you think about it, especially with a ghost face armed with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like how it like subverts the normal scream chase sequence of like rather than chase you through a big area, let's trap you in this little box and see how you get out of here. Mm -hmm. Um, No, that makes perfect sense, especially because you can, within that little area, you can die at a distance. Like you don't have to be up close now. So you're kind of doubly screwed. You're trapped in a small space. Yeah, exactly. And see to me so far, um, with this scene and the opening scene already this movie is like subverting and tossing out everything i knew about a screen movie out the window in my opinion at least at least that's how i read this movie yeah i get that no it's it does do some things differently than the other screen movies do i don't know if it's a complete subversion of them like i know we had that line like well who gives a fuck about movies but the characters all still do like at the end of the day the characters are still and maybe that is just to maybe throw them off the trail here because you know you get the introduction of these characters or you get like um dermot mulrooney's like grizzled cop character who is trying to who is like moved on after the death of his son you get quinn who is like the sex positive roommate like she's kind of like again like kind of one note you know you get this one note like she exists to like move along a little bit of exposition and also 
have like the characters roll their eyes because she's always like with a different dude in her room. See, it's interesting that you say that the characters still do care about movies because do they like I never once really hear Sam or Tara bring up movies at all in this particular entry. So we're throwing that all on Mindy's shoulders. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. Like nobody makes movie references. You don't hear Tara talk about the Babadook this time. You Mm -hmm. don't hear Sam give you the rundown of Stab and Halloween. Like it feels like that what they experienced in that last movie, they're just trying to move on with their lives. They've moved on to limited series or just like (laughs) fun. Oh, oh, it's documentaries. uh, Yeah. It's that line that Gail says it's now true crime limited series is the wave. (laughs) Right. And I, I guess like after the bodega, you have like, you go again to the next set piece in this movie, which is that really, again, like every set piece is really good. Like I know that I'm like down on this movie and if, but if you point to like, well, why it's not the action in this movie, um, the apartment chase and that ladder scene, you know, with Sam and her boyfriend, Joey abs. Like, I don't remember his name. <laughs> He's just like shirtless dude with nice abs. Um, Paul, I think. Fine. Paul we'll, call him, we'll call him Paul. Um, it's pretty fantastic. Although I do think it's a downgrade from randy quaid's kid but not randy quaid's kid dennis quaid's kid <laughs> there you go um jack quaid but again like really great scene and it show highlights like the violence of this movie like one thing i hear for people who really love it is exactly how fucking violent this movie is like it is brutal compared to some of the others which aren't lightweight movies on their own no yeah, I noticed that as well. Like the kills in this are seem like particularly gory, like particularly messy in ways that we haven't seen in the mm-hmm. franchise a lot before. I know f- there there are brutal elements, I think, in all of them. But this I think every kill in this movie is really brutal. Yeah, I when I heard everybody talking about how violent it was, I just kept thinking about that they had to cut part of that opening shot of Drew Barrymore hanging from the tree, like disemboweled mm-hmm. and everything. Cause I always kept thinking it's more brutal than that, but yeah, just overall, it just feels meaner, which I think a lot of people appreciate. A lot of people like a mean horror movie and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm with them. I like that. Um, I like that combination of who gives a fuck about movies combined with just how brutal this movie is. Um, and I, I liked the the apartment chase and the ladder scene even more than the bodega. I like, you know, to Raina's point about a small space, like they're still, they're in an apartment building and it's a nice ass apartment that I couldn't afford, but it's still a small space and it's, you know, using the geography of the apartment, which we already know about and using that really tight space, but that looks so insurmountable when you're climbing across it on a ladder. Like I like how they kind of cordon and section things off to make it really tight um, and it feels like we spend more time with Ghostface. Like these chase sequences feel longer to me. That it, that might not be accurate at all, but they feel longer because we're jumping from location to location and mm-hmm. staying in this apartment. And you know, it felt like Ghostface was holding onto that ladder for a really long time, which makes it scarier for me. Like if Ghostface just jumps up to you know chase you for a second and then leave, it's not as scary as a Ghostface mm-hmm. that sticks around to make sure he finishes you off. I guess as good as the sequence is, it is the point of the movie where I started to feel fatigued. Um, what 
where this movie really falls short to me, and this is the closest thing that this movie really has to it, is one of my favorite things about the other screen movies is like the downtime with the characters, like mm-hmm. Sydney and Tatum, just like sitting on Tatum's front deck, talking about Sydney's mom being the town bicycle and the whole Richard gear. Like you get to know them, like the video store scene with, uh, with, randy and billy and Stu, you get like these little snapshots of what their lives are like and you feel like you really get to know them even though half of these characters are going to wind up dead by the end of the movie and it feels like there are so few moments in this movie where you get to take a moment and just kind of breathe even the shrine sequence i don't really get anything character wise from that i just get like a look at how cool it is that we found all of these props from all the other movies and have them on display like that exists for nerds like myself to go like oh man it's the and it's probably not but it's the crt <laughs> from the first screen movie i don't get like it just feels so rushed in this movie like there's never a moment where this movie takes a moment to breathe and it's almost feels like it's afraid to do that because yeah. it doesn't want to let people know like just how thin all the characters and all the motivations are in this movie. So we have to breathlessly rush forward. Is, isn't that just like living in New York City as a whole, though? Like everything feels claustrophobic and anxiety inducing and <laughs> no safe spaces. I don't know. <laughs> I have no, but, I don't know because I don't I've never lived in I've lived in Boston, which is very tiny compared to New York. But there's nothing about this movie either, though, that screams like a quintessential New York movie like it, it, aside from like the skyline shots. Um, I and never the bodega really scene. even then, like there's bodegas in places that aren't New York, like it didn't look wouldn't look out of place in Chicago or Boston or any other kind of like mid-sized city um i I was i was gonna just interject and say that like um before we got really into the new york conversation i do think Mm -hmm. the apartment scene and ladder scene is fascinating for multiple reasons and not just Mm -hmm. because it was amazing at 40x because they had the wind effects going on that scene but um and do your seats shake back and forth on the ladder Oh my god, every time he lifted the ladder cuz the seats are on risers, the seats uh-huh. shook up. They moved <sighs> up. It was like being on Star Tours and <laughs> they had the wind going cuz it was outside. It's it's fascinating the technology. But um even then, I found the whole scene fascinating because usually the main character's home in these movies is safe haven. Like mm-hmm. Ghostface can't get you there. Sydney's house in the first one couldn't get you there. Um the their their room at the college in the second one safe there pretty much wherever the main character lives is somewhere that ghostface can't step foot in so the fact that one ghostface is not only in there two the characters are unaware of it is pretty terrifying Mm -hmm. and i do think i do love the small scope of set pieces and environments because it's like, oh, New York, everything's bigger, everything's better. And it's like, no, what if we played with that expectation a little bit and gave you something a little bit more claustrophobic, something a little bit more dangerous in almost every single um, set piece that we have 
whether it be the subway, the apartment, the bodega, even the shrine. It's like just like a single screen like movie theater. Mm -hmm. It can get claustrophobic real quick. And especially when you're up on that balcony. Um, I guess that's where I personally really love the the stuff that people typically expect from a screen movie i feel like radio silence was very intentionally playing with in this particular entry and mm -hmm. testing the waters for what i assume is a seventh movie gonna happen okay uh, yeah sorry I guess if I can... i'm uh, so, yeah no, sorry if i'm rambling <laughs> no that's a, that's no. that's that's the format that we should be rambling um it's really it's our fault. Justin and I's fault for not rambling really is what it is. Yeah. And I encourage you both to ramble more. <laughs> I get, I guess I get that's a, a really good perspective on it in that like everything is more, is tighter. It's more confined. Uh, and you're supposed to feel, and I guess you're right. Like thinking about this movie until you get back to the, the one screen theater at the end, everything is getting more and more constricted. Like you go from the streets to, the um, storefront to like the apartment to the subway where like that vice grip is kind of like closing in. Um, mm -hmm. And I think maybe what it is, is I just, because I don't feel anything for like the characters that are put into danger. Um, I just don't, I just kind of get bored. I'm like, it looks really good, but they're not giving me enough here. Like let's talk about Gale Weathers really quick because like there's no need for this character like and look if there's a least favorite legacy character i have in the scream series it's gail weathers because you get the same introduction to her that you have had in pretty much every scream movie aside from four yeah. which is i wrote a book i wasn't supposed to and i got like infamy off the back of other person's tragedy it's almost a joke at this point it's like yeah after 25 years you're like oh my god this shit again and it feels like a way to just kind of gin up some like some conflict where there mm -hmm. really wouldn't be otherwise it's like oh well i don't know everybody's got to hate gail for some reason got to do that thing that we do in every movie where someone like takes a swing at her like that that's that's a trope we got to bring back like is it though well, when she's producer on on this movie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does she? I mean, me? there's there's the next question, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. But I I don't feel like the legacy characters get a fair shake in this movie. Again, they feel ready for Steven's word of the episode. They feel perfunctory to me. Mm -hmm. Like they're there because it, it's a screen movie. We got to put them in there, right? Kirby I mean, and, Kirby and Gail are in this movie because it feels like Radio Silence is too afraid to ask the four new characters four. we have stand core four five star review could the, the um new characters we have stand on their own if we didn't have anyone that from that that drew, called back to the original movies would this be could we even call it a screen I, movie and it sucks i think the characters on their own are enough to it's okay to let the older characters go you don't need them in this movie at all I don't know I if have, I would have agreed with you on that, Mike, until I saw this movie. And now I'm kind of like, yeah, just let them shine. Yeah. I let the core have, four be the core four. I have like wild, wild theory and mirroring that I'll save for the finale. But I do mm -hmm. have 
thoughts on legacy characters, what this means for the rest of the series, and what this particular okay. entry is doing. But I'll wait until we get to the Shrine movie theater finale. Okay. And, and I'll lay okay. that all down. <laughs> okay. What what say you, Jessica? I I will admit that they got a laugh out of me when Sam tries to punch her, Gail dodges, and then Tara gets her. I liked mm-hmm. that little moment. But, That's a good moment. But it is. on the whole, I yeah, it's like we we can't keep spinning our wheels with you know Gail wrote another book. Everybody hates Gail. You know, um, I am a, a Gail Weathers fan. I I wore my Gail Weathers T shirt to the movie when I went to see it. Um, but I would be very okay if Scream Seven had another phone call like, "Well, Gail's just staying home with her new boyfriend she's that she doesn't want to die this time." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, she's she hasn't. A, she's. Yeah. Yeah. She's staying at home with her new boyfriend, Louie. Yeah. Uh, you know, just who's a security guard or something. Um, Does that mean this boyfriend's name was Huey? Oh, I hope so. Um, yeah. It's just like my daughter kept leaning over to me, just going like, she's like, I hate Gail so much. Like, why is she in this movie? Like, she's the worst. And she was super happy when she thought she was dead. Um, which might say a little bit about my kid. Um <laughs> she is her father's daughter i can't see why you could take her and kirby out of this movie and Mm -hmm. nothing would change about it like literally nothing would would change whatsoever and the thing that bothers me and not that like oh they i'm of two minds in that like i don't necessarily need to see characters i really like killed for the stakes to be raised because i want to see more chad i was genuinely upset when it felt like chad was dead and mindy was dead Mm -hmm. and i'm like whoa that's a pretty shocking moment like when they killed gail and they don't even wait a scene they're like oh we have a pulse and they're like it feels like the creative team is so afraid to let any of these characters go because yeah. it might anger some fans. It might hurt the IP in some way. Or it you... might hurt the stars of the movie who want to come right. back and make more money. Or if you're, I mean, if you're Jedi Ortega and you're the on the streak that you're on, are you kind of like, it's okay to kill me in the opening scene of the next one. I'm kind of over these movies now. Um, as much as I don't want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. It just feels like there's no stakes in this movie. I think that's what it, it bothered me. Like there are, it, the, you, it, you're trying to give have your cake and eat it too in that like Chad gets this like brutal evisceration mm-hmm. Mindy gets like an amazing kind of like cat and mouse scene in the subway you have these phenomenal moments but then at the end of the movie Mindy is not only okay she's running a marathon like mm-hmm. she's full on sprinting to get to the ambulance like she's if she the only other thing she could have done is like a handspring cartwheel <laughs> to show how okay she would have been and i love Which, mindy and want to see more amazing. of her right like, chad should be dead twice now mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. you know chad is like now he's plot armor i guess chad's like, the new dewey mm-hmm. dewey's the guy that gets stabbed in every screen movie now it's chad chad gets stabbed he'll, in every screen movie he'll like, have a limp in the next one right <laughs> <laughs> A really overly affected limp. (laughs) So I'm just like watching these movies and I'm like, I don't feel anything because there's nothing to feel. And I know like Kevin Williamson has said, "Eh, if I could do it again, I wouldn't have killed Randy. 
Um, but I felt it when Sarah Michelle Geller's character was killed. You know, I felt it when Jerry O'Connell's character was killed. You know, that's that's fine. Here, it's almost like we're going to give you this incredible moment. You know, look how violent this is. And oh, shit, poor Chad. And then it's like, just kidding. He's okay again. It's the... I think you're right, Mike. I think they're they're afraid to make any changes that might anger somebody because fans are more vocal now than ever, mm-hmm. um, and and they have they can easily get at the ears of the creators. And we've seen in recent years how fan movements can influence studios too. Mm-hmm. So like, there's there's got to be this kind of uh, temptation to really play this safe. Yeah. But by the same token that can only get you so far in the long run. Like you need to shake things up. And I think this movie does as Raina has referenced earlier, shaking some things up in some interesting ways. But on the other hand, they're playing it really safe. They're not giving us much in the way of character development and and forward momentum on Mm -hmm. care as far as characters go. And they're really by making sure that we know that the legacy characters and the characters that carried over from the last movie Mm -hmm. are constantly going to be protected that these movies are not going to have stakes and they're not going to make us care about the characters that they are introducing to us that are going to be the cannon fodder for the movie, because they're not going to take the time to actually develop them as characters. They're going to serve perfunctory, um, you know, roles within the film. Like, Hey, there's something on TV or oops, I'm the red herring or Mm -hmm. I'm the obvious one. It can't be me. Sorry. It is like, that's what these characters are now. It's bad enough when you have like Melissa Barrera. I know she had a lot of criticism in Scream 5 for her performance. And I'm like, yeah, she's fine. Like others overshadow her, but she's fine. And I think it's because like there are so many other strong performances around her that Mm -hmm. it kind of elevates her a bit. And I think she's left a bit exposed in this one where, you know, I had said this on like the text chain. I'm like, honest to God, if you if paint drying on a wall became personified and took up acting as a profession, it would show more range and dynamicism than Melissa Barrera shows his Sam in this role. Like she's awful to watch in this movie. And I, I the whole, I actually like, liked her better in this one. Okay. That's fine. Hey, you know, that's totally okay. This is just one man's opinion, tilting at windmills here. Just the whole, <laughs> like, will she, become her father's daughter like at this point and you have like the spider-man no more moment at the end where she drops the mask but i'm sure in scream seven it'll be the same fucking story beat again because why would you have any resolution um what you have to do is wait till scream eight because that's the fourth one in the franchise and that's the movie where the final girl actually becomes Ghostface. Oh, go to space okay. i i uh, i uh, no, I, I i hate I it as well right now <laughs> I have no. I it it's it's just I I I want to lay down my thoughts, but I want to wait until do it. we I'm get sorry. to the finale. Oh. All that. Okay, well, well, let's wait. do that. Let's let's jump because we can always backtrack. So you know I what I want to hear everything that Rain has been holding back for the mm-hmm. last twenty minutes. We'll come back, I guess, to the subway sequence because Raina, you really want to talk about the ending of this movie, and I want what you want right now. So let's talk about the ending to this and the reveal what about it because you seem super pumped about it like what do you what's on your mind what do you got okay so this is this is how i can explain it probably best and it's probably super obvious but i feel like a lot of people are, are like forgetting this fact we forget 
that the last Scream movie was very, very, very inspired by The Force Awakens, the Star Wars film, obviously. Um, This movie is the last Jedi of this franchise. This movie is the full passing of the torch from the legacy characters to the new characters as the leads going forward, which is what The Last Jedi was for that particular series, because Force Awakens still relied on the legacy characters a great deal. Um, And even to the point where you get some of those mirrors, you get the mirror of like Sam touching the glass and seeing her father realizing who she is mirroring Ray and the last Jedi touching the wall in the cave, realizing who she is as a person and embracing the dark side of them both. It, to me, this, this movie is really about like you get your last round of nostalgia and expectations from a franchise. But as a, like now here going forward, we're forging our own path. We're forging a new path. And it's funny, Stephen, that you brought up, oh, well, they should do a movie where it's like Columbo, where you're rooting for Ghostface the entire time, or you know who Ghostface is the entire time. Because I feel that's where the series is leading up. I feel like the next installment is going to be not just Sam tapping into that dark side of herself, but fully embracing it to the point that her father even says to her at one point, oh, you know, every time like you don't like realize who you are people get hurt and your friends get in danger like i really feel like this series is setting up going forward for oh we're gonna have a ghost face sam movie where she's sort of using it for good like maybe she's hunting down the cult of ghost face maybe she's hunting down the ghost face with bad intentions and we're following her she's like taking back that legacy of who she is and who she's related to. And it's totally going to shift the way we look at that persona. And we look at her as a person. That's, that's basically what I pull from it. And I'm not sure if that's exactly where they'll go, but I feel like the seeds are very planted there, given the finale and Sam and Tara, given the position that all these characters are in by the end of this movie, even to the point that the ghost face mask is like almost like Luke's lightsaber at this point of like mm-hmm. being passed down from generation to generation. Sure, Sam threw it down, but that mask is common. She could easily just go buy another one. Mm-hmm. So ghost face in space is what this boils down to. Ghost- no, I kid. That was awful. I it was not i i hope you're right honestly i hear what you're saying and i hope you're right because i think that would be a great way to go uh even if it's not sam is killer but just fully embracing like these are our core characters going forward and i think the beauty of this series is you could you have your core four you could every few movies like retool the cast and have it sit be set on like a different group of characters under different circumstances. Right. Yeah. And have it enjoy it because it can be anyone under the ghost face mask. It you're not reliant on an iconic killer, like a Jason or like there's not a, like only Robert Englund can play Freddy Krueger. 
type of deal or only Michael Myers can be your killer in Halloween or we riot because Ghostface is always a different character. And that's where it leans a little bit more into like the last Jedi parallels because the last Jedi parallels that movie was basically at the time Ray learning that she was a nobody. She wasn't connected Mm -hmm. to anything. She had no legacy, but she could forge her own path and be like the Mm -hmm. hero that her group needed. And this one, it's like, well, anyone it can be Ghostface, whether that person uses it for good or bad intentions is entirely up to them, which is why we get Sam in the full Ghostface get up as she like kills the real killer. Mm-hmm. I I think that the fan expectations is is holding is holding this the this series back currently. The fans are like like Star Wars fans are too attached to the legacy characters to let go to let new avenues of storytelling to let something that can truly rock your socks off in because it's like, oh, it's scream. No, I need my Sydney. I need my Gale. It's like, no, you don't. You don't. I, don't, I, I have a I got to I'm going to strongly disagree because what I'm hearing from fans is they really like five and six. And they really love Mindy. They really like, you know, they stand Tara, as the kids like to say. They mm-hmm. stand for Je- Jenny Ortega. Uh, everybody loves Mindy. Like it's they. Mm-hmm. I, so they're more they're super in tune with this like new group of characters. And like then you have someone like me who I know I'm the outlier here where I'm just like, I don't really want any of the legacy characters back. Like I've been saying since the end of three, Sydney should be gone because that last moment she has in three it's perfect like mm-hmm. the best mm-hmm. end for any like you know horror movie heroine ever gets that sort of like beautiful ending um and they still trot her out and make it do it two more times yeah and they still like you know put on the suit and like do the dance again and like it's, then you get it's you know of oh, city priscott of course i have a gun it's like really is that an of course moment it's it's noted it, gun nut Sydney Prescott. It, it, it is oh. so funny that people like take up like, oh, like I take up issue with with uh, Sydney coming back in four after that ending in, in Scream three. It's like it was Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson that no, did that. Like, I agree. Hear you. Yeah. Um, and I could see her coming back in that because I think you needed her more in that movie. Yeah. And it also like the end of that movie is about a relative who is insanely jealous over their more famous cousins success mm-hmm. and i think it's really beauty you you cast like the niece of the most famous actress in the world and the younger brother of one of the most famous child stars in the world in a movie about getting outshined by your more famous relatives i think that's beautiful casting. well yeah um it's it's also interesting too that like Craven and Williamson's original plan for four five and six was like, obviously four was supposed to be the start of a new trilogy for them. Their plans for five and six, like eventually the series would move past Sydney. Mm-hmm. Like the six movie wasn't going to have her at all. Like right. from the jump, which is ironic that in real life, the six movie is the one that doesn't have mm-hmm. her. Um, but it was always in the plan to eventually move past these characters And I know, Mike, you said like so many people are like in tune with these new characters, but I hear people in my daily life all the time that it's like, oh, well, I like Sydney, Dewey and Gale. Like, I want Mm -hmm. those characters like that's my screen movie. Okay. And 
I do feel like Twitter, especially horror Twitter, sometimes it's just like an echo chamber of like, mm-hmm. yes, all these characters are beloved. And it's like, but I meet people all the time in daily life that's like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't really like those new characters all that much. Like, where's Sydney and whatnot? So I do think like it's the general movie going on and the casual like horror fan expectations that's like really holding back of like we need to hold on to this thread of the past no matter how weak it's getting with every entry because you could definitely tell that the line that like oh gail pulled through almost felt like a reshoot it felt adr'd it really did yes it did it felt like oh yeah we wanted to kill gail in this movie and the only like living one would be sydney and it felt like Somebody in like test screening went, no, they did not react to that. Well, let's fix it in post. Mm-hmm. Um, I, oh. you have that whole tacked on explanation of Sydney being gone with like, she deserves a happy ending. It's like, oh God, like that's so heavy handed, you know? I mean, I think you said that in our Scream 6 trailer reaction, Mike, like, um, I, I think you said exactly th- those words, and I think Jess and what? I both kind of agreed with you on that. What if the line they used was, I called Sydney, and she said, you'd have to pay me way more to go to see this shit, you know? <laughs> but you it's got like super meta at that point. Right. It's a it's, little too meta, maybe. It's either that, or you do the alternative of, like, you don't address it at all, and that's where mm-hmm. I feel like it gets messy of, like, how do we tackle this character's absence that's literally been involved and is still alive from every after, single movie? After the end of Scream 5, Sydney Prescott died on her way back to her home <laughs> planet. planet. The, yeah, they do the they do the poochie thing. Um, I'm sorry, Jess. I feel like we're like totally not giving you a, a chance to weigh in here. And I see <laughs> the wheels spinning, so. No, I just... It, I don't have people that I talk about this with outside of like, I am very much an online person because I don't have like horror friends outside of Twitter. I very much need to touch grass. So I think it's really interesting that Raina's like, no, people outside of the horror Twitter echo chamber see this very differently because I just see the horror Twitter reactions and you know, like Mindy fan cams and things like that, like people obsessing over Sam and Tara. So I thought that the new cast was very well received. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I I wasn't a fan of Melissa Barrera in Five, but I didn't know that she had gotten a lot of online abuse for yeah. her acting in Five. I, really? I, mm. I, I was not aware of that. That's very much mm-hmm. a shame. I saw a theory that like part of Six's uh, depiction of Sam as being like attacked by people online and attacked by people on the street was kind of a meta commentary on how Barrera was treated, uh, which I think is an interesting theory. And um, again, that's something that I just wasn't aware of because I don't travel in circles that would uh, attack an actress <laughs> for her perceived acting abilities. Not that people who have seen it follow those people, but I just was completely unaware of that. So I'm kind of seeing my blind spots um, in terms of how the fandom reacts. Uh, so I've just been kind of like processing that and, you know, scream of course, by its very nature is one that is heavily interactive with the fan base. Um, so I've, I've been wondering Mike about your take on Dewey's death, because you keep talking about the stakes. There's no, there are no stakes mm-hmm. in this one. There are, 
afraid to kill anybody. They're afraid to make any big changes. So how do you see that in comparison with killing off one of the... I thought it was one. It was a, a wonderful moment. Um, it really worked in that movie. And it made me feel so... Because of where Dewey is at as well at the start of that movie. And he doesn't really have a redemptive arc. Do you know what I mean? Like he's mm-hmm. very content to just live out a quiet on his own life. And he's just so sad. And like that movie, that moment had a real gut punch to it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because you know that he died going back. He's like, unless you shoot them in the head, you know, so he died playing by the rules of the movie that the movies have set up for him. And he, and you know, the minute he walks off that elevator, I think the movie does such a good job of preparing you for that moment as well. Like, you know, it's coming, you know, there's no way that he's getting out of it at this point, that this is going to be it. That hit like a gut punch. It wasn't as shocking as Randy's death was where he's yanked into a van and like, what the fuck? Like you're almost pulled out of the movie for 10 minutes because it's such a shocking death in Scream 2. Mm-hmm. Here, it like it felt, it felt like a send off for the character that was true to the character and had a lot of stakes and had a lot of emotional impact. Am I sad that Dewey is gone? Absolutely. If you reversed, if if that was Sydney who died like that, I would feel the opposite. I'm like, how dare you give her? that ending that that is the one character who I would feel like, please don't don't have her in the movies again, just so she never dies in the movie. Cause I can't like, that's the right. only reason she would get the Alice and Friday, the 13th part two treatment. Um, I don't want to see Sydney Prescott treated like Sally Hardesty in the latest Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Yep. Right? Not mm-hmm. that I think that this movie, I don't think that they would do that. And that brings me to one of my criticisms of this movie you don't have anything like the scene with Wes in Officer Judy, where you have these deaths that build and they build and they build and you're on the edge of your seat and you're like, think the character is okay. You've enough time has passed and then it's shocking. Here it is just a rush. And you get some great, again, that subway sequence, phenomenal maybe a top three sequence in all of the movies, like really well done, really execute, well executed. And again, part of that is like Jasmine Savoy Brown is such an incredible performer. Um, she is really the highlight of both of these movies for me. I love her character of Mindy and how she plays her, give her more to do. Um, but I don't have anything like I do with like Wes's quiet, creeping sense of dread that's played for laughs when you have like that third time when he shuts the cabinet and you're like you motherfuckers you got me again (laughs) i don't have that here and i i guess that's what i'm missing and that's me like for others like the action horror turn like works for them and good for them like that's fine too but what do you what did you make of i guess like if you brought it like what did you make of like dewey's death in the fifth one then I was very, very sad. Obviously, I I think 
kind of like the fact that we're complaining about Gale surviving this one. Like if you keep bringing the legacy characters back and keep letting them survive, it becomes kind of an eye rolling thing. Like, you know, what are we doing here, guys? This is a slasher movie. People got to get slashed, you know? Um, So I was, I was very torn. I was very broken up over Dewey dying. Um, But I, I agree with you that I like that they, they at least give, gave it some heft, like the, the way Ghostface delivers. It's, it's an honor, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. um, I w- must admit that in the scene in Gail's apartment, I was in my mind, I was like, no, not Gail, not Gail, please don't kill Gail. But I was also let down when they were like, Oh no, Gail survived. Yay. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of afterthought, after she'd have this really heavy moment and a really great yeah. dying line, like it they, felt like an important scene they, and then they undercut it. And, and Salmon, and this is just a human, not even a character, the human, Sam and Tara seemed way more broken up about Gail dying than their roommate who they spent. <laughs> I mean, maybe like Quinn like ate all their food, even when it was labeled <laughs> and they were like fucking glad the bitch is dead, you know? Um, <laughs> But they didn't kept, seem them, su- kept them up all night with her raucous lovemaking. Yeah, right. They didn't seem super broken up about, again, someone they spent every day with for six months biting it. Yeah. Maybe because she's not Woodsboro, as they say at one point in the movie. She's not Woodsboro. You, you, you're not part of the whatever the core seven or eight or not, however many Woodsboro folks are in this movie. There's no, four. Not, it's no, no, core no. four, Jess. No, but I'm saying all the Woodsboro people who are back. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, you got to have Kirby and Gale included in that bigger number. Yeah, um, you but... have to. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, yeah. All right. Let's talk about the ghost faces in this movie. I just want to say real quick that I cried when Dewey died. And when Gail gave her last line, I cried again. And then we're like, Oh, she's got a pulse. And I was like, Oh, well, yeah. that's what I get for getting emotionally invested. Phony <laughs> tears. God, God damn it. Um, how does this ghost face reveal work for y'all? Nope. Yes. <laughs> uh, y- yes and no. <laughs> when there okay. were, th- I I full on did the doggy head tilt. Like my head was cocked when there were three of them. Um, but then when I found out who they were, I was like, oh, oh well, all right mm-hmm. then. Okay. The that was brand. about it. I legit thought we were doing Cult of Ghostface when mm-hmm. when I saw three. I was like, mm-hmm. Cult of Ghostface? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I, there was a part of me that was so terrified one of them was going to be Stu Mocker that I was honestly a little <laughs> bit relieved. But then by the same token, when they're like going through their motivations, I'm like, oh, I don't all like I this want, at all. All I want is Stu Mocker to return. Maybe that's my problem with this movie. Maybe. And they 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 literally make you think it would happen. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's the TV that killed so Stu Mocker. Yeah, yeah, if you believe he's, he's actually dead. dead. Right. Mm-hmm. But he does say dead under his picture in the big whiteboard as well. And but they think he's dead. Mm-hmm. What if he's not? Yeah. I mean, you we said, all thought Kirby was dead, and then Scream Five came out and was like, right. nope. Except that, like, Kirby's not a criminal. Do you know what I mean? Like, Stu, mm-hmm. you would. You don't have a like, but the body disappeared from the morgue <laughs> moment. See, Raina, you're you're saying yes, so go ahead. I mean, yeah, I I I love how unhinged it fucking is. Like th- throughout, like the entire movie, I'm like, this cop is like 
well one like a cab but two like Mm -hmm. um this cop is way too down to kill somebody um (laughs) so it's like fairly obvious but also like i love that when they reveal him like they're like it's you and he's like come on of course it's me like Mm -hmm. duh um but i love the reveal that it's all of Richie's family because it straight up mirrors the ghost face reveal from scream two with this whole movie mirrors goes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, to great extent, um, but it plays it, plays it up more campy, like how ridiculous it is that, Oh, they've entirely faked Quinn's death (laughs) and threw her into the living room just to like get her off the suspect Mm -hmm. list. Um, to me that's that's where the movie gets like really fun for me like the entire finale in the movie theater is just like a hooting and hollering good time of like unhingedness and people Mm -hmm. running around in costumes and you get that little shot of like the two ghost faces at the same time which we've never really had just stand up and like wipe the blade at the exact same time that part is very cool in unison it was really yeah like it's just like regardless of like criticisms of the reveal or who ghostface are in or anything it's revealed and played out in such a fun manner that like up until that point like yes the movie is very tense the movie is very like oh my god claustrophobic and whatnot it feels like a like a hand around my neck tightening as the movie goes on that's none of it feels fun per se until they get to the shrine and the ghost face reveal of like, mm-hmm. okay, yes, this this kicked in in my head. This is a scream movie. Like, of course, we have to have fun with it at some point. And given the lack of meta commentary, there was really no like pinkies up answer for who Ghostface is or why they did it. It's just a father and family scorned from previous events that it's like. Yeah, we don't care about Sydney. We we don't really mm-hmm. care about Gail either. She just got involved. Like, we're out for you, Sam and Tara, which yeah. really re- brings home the idea of like these are our new leads going forward. I think it it does those things, but it does it in such a way that is so convoluted and exp- it expects the audience to let go of it basically expects the audience to basically have suffered head trauma that allows you to not have any sort of like functioning like logical thinking in terms of how it gives you this reveal um but before i I go way into that jess you're on both sides so (laughs) i was gonna say that uh, like last thought that like no more than three does because three is very convoluted in its reveal as well with roman like masterminding the whole thing well that was my thought after i finished this movie i'm like so is just every third one just really convoluted then is that how we're doing the screen movies now like like every odd numbered star trek is the bad one (laughs) like we're just doing every third screen movie really convoluted three's not an amazing reveal but it doesn't make me i don't have to eat lead paint chips to like say i can buy it i mean and i'll get into that in a second i'm being super mean and i'm so sorry oh god i said i wasn't gonna do this um 
might it go is and fold fun. Jay Sherman and right in front of our eyes. No, I'm so I'm being a dick. I'm yeah, I want I want to hear Jessica being hot and Me cold too. on it. Like <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> well, no, I was like, okay, I went through a range of emotions as this lengthy monologue was happening. Um, when the three ghost faces appeared, I was like, oh shit, they blew my mind. Even though it's just an extra person, it just kind of blew my mind. Um, but then as things were going on, I was like, okay, we're just redoing two. Like I've seen all the parallels between this scream two and this one, but okay, we're just redoing two again. And then I, I even kind of struggled with this in my review. It's a meta take on a meta take on a meta take. Like it starts kind of eating its tail where you're redoing previous movies in the franchise, but that's because what this franchise is and what it represents. So the point is that it's redoing the franchise. And if you have a problem with it, then they're commenting on that as well. So I'm like, it's kind of, in a way, Scream is kind of intrinsically criticism proof because you can say, oh, well, that's the point. But that doesn't mean you have to like it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was kind of like, I was kind of let down. And I'm not a huge fan of the Sam and D.H. Skeet Ulrich thing. The, you know... I, I really like Raina's take on it, that it's like The Last Jedi and the, the kind of passing the torch. But just as a whole, I don't know that I dig just um, how they handle Sam struggling with where she comes from and who she is and how those two things are in tension with each other. Mm. Um, I may eat my words if Scream 7 comes out and blows my mind and deals with exactly that in a way that I think is done really well. But so far, I'm just kind of like... Uh, I don't know. So I go back and forth on it a lot. I don't know if that answered your question at all, but <laughs> yeah. I, when the finale starts, I was on board and I'm like, Oh, this is going to actually save the movie for me. This seems really fun. Um, it tips its hand way too early. Like the minute that Delmut, uh, Delmert McRooney calls, Sam and is like, it's Kirby. She was fired by the FBI for being unstable. I'm like, oh, he's the killer. And I had already thought that after the apartment scene, because I'm the way he delivers a line, you know, you mess with my family, you die. And I'm like, that has killer vibes all over it. Looking forward to that. And I was kind of like, and that probably means that Quinn's not dead because Ghostface has to be in the apartment since they have like quadruple locks anyway. Mm -hmm. So kind of like not that I care about figuring it out, but you get to that reveal and it's just like, Oh, that like that, that's, that's what you have. Like you have Ethan who is not interesting. You have Quinn who's not interesting and you have the dad who's not interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, okay, I'm kind of over this at this point. And I thought they were going to do something fairly interesting when they were like, you know, like put on the mask, like they were recruiting Sam to kind of join up. Like you're like the daughter we never had take our son's place, but no, it's just like, we want to like do our whole revenge thing. And then the whole, like, yeah, we started the conspiracy theories. Like that also was like, I'm just over it. I'm just like, this isn't, it's, it's not good. Um, I, I had, no, sorry, go ahead. I've lost in my thoughts now because the ending of this movie to me is just so it's 2023. You've literally written a book on the murders. 
mm-hmm. and no one has seen a picture of the dad or the brother or the sister like gail weathers gail i am super good at my job and kirby i am super good at my job you're like richie wasn't ostracized from his family so there's like no pictures of like nobody would investigate or look into the family when you're literally writing the book on it there's like none of that like at least with scream 2 which this movie mirrors it does a really good job of keeping Sydney away from Billy Loomis's mom. They never interact. Right. And then when Gail sees her, she's like, well, I lost like a hundred pounds and different haircut and plastic surgery. And it's also like, it's 1997. So the internet, you can't just look everything up like this movie asks in. Oh, also he was able to create a fake identity and then join like the largest police force in the country. Sure. That sounds completely plausible. That's why I'm like, I don't need to be like 100% realistic with these movies. But again, please don't seem like I have fallen down like lots of stairs and hit my head in order to accept like how you're setting. And I guess it it insulted me. And I think there's a lot of that in this movie. I, I think I was talking to you before we recorded about the fact that characters would just get stabbed and then not be affected by it. Like mm-hmm. two minutes, like once Chad dies, Tara gets stabbed in the back mm-hmm. and she is in the very next scene, like jumping on people's backs and like stabbing people, like stabbing Ethan in the, mm-hmm. in the mouth and twisting the blade, like oh. delivering her own level of brutality. Right. Um, and it just like, there's no internal consistency within yeah within the framework of, of the movie. Yeah. Like it seems like there are just these huge chunks where logic just takes a backseat to, well, we got to move this forward somehow. Yeah. So well, I don't know. Yeah. And it, it, it's almost like fake stakes. Like, okay, well this character gets stabbed, but they're not going to get affected f- by it because plot armor, like, right. you and know, I it's going to affect them differently than someone else. Like it's, is, mm. is things like that negate legit awesome moments. Like Sam, holding Tara over the balcony and trying to pull her up and Tara Tara saying like, let me go, which what is the theme of the movie is letting in their character arc is letting go. And the only characters that actually have arcs in this movie. And it's a legit great moment. And like, I can see someone be like, well, pointing to that as a reason to why they love this movie, but I just can't let that those those other bits go just, they just do me in like that mm-hmm. whole, like, and the other thing is like every time, and this is a, a problem with scream as a series. I'm fully ready to admit this. Now the minute Ghostface reveals themselves, they become completely manic. Like they are, they all become Heath Ledger in the dark Knight, where they just go completely batshit insane. Crazy. Some would argue that's a feature, not a bug, Mike. And you're right. So after six Agreed. movies, you're right. You're right. <laughs> what if, because the marketing was all like, you've never seen a ghost face like me before, right? Like that was the whole point of the marketing and the trailers. Like you've never seen one like this before. And I'm like, well, we have part two. Because you know? there's a third one now. So you can right. like even it back up. So now right. there's there's an even number of ghost it's, faces again. Right. And it, it's asking that question that the office asked. Do you want a lot of mediocre pizza or do you want like a little bit of great pizza? Like just don't give me like three mediocre 
killers. Give me like one or two really good ones. Yeah. Give me an an Antoine Chigura style killer. Like give me something different. Where now like, hold on, one of pizza even was super plotting and methodical i'm sorry like give me that kind of like coldness and detachment as a killer just to see like as opposed to like i'm the killer woo bug eyes you know but 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 mike pizza when it's bad is still pretty good like then i guess that's what this is is pretty good movie yeah like even like i think the scream franchise has has it's always like expectations and delivery and no matter how much you stray yeah. or stick to the path at the end of the day like it's still just a, a wildly entertaining mm-hmm. slasher movie it's like better than like 90 percent of slasher movies out there i think oh it's my favorite franchise still like it has five excellent movies and one movie that i'm going in way harder on than i probably actually feel about it um it's a two and a half star movie for me but like the Same. things i don't like i really really i just hate and i don't blame you for that yeah. like you know there's yeah even even a bad screen movie is still pretty good yeah. um and if this is the if and again you know uh, your mileage may vary this is probably my least favorite of the franchise yeah. it's still pretty good yeah like I'm not gonna kick it out of bed for eating crackers. Like yeah. it's it's a pretty good movie, mm-hmm. um, but you know I again I have my ideas of what a scream movie should be, and they don't necessarily have to include the you know the Woodsboro characters. I don't I don't need Gale and Dewey again. Two months ago I would have probably told you something very different, mm-hmm. but after seeing this movie I'm like no I don't no. need and and franchises need to grow. That was one of my biggest complaints after the last Jedi mm-hmm. is not with that movie, but with the fan reaction to it is mm-hmm. this. I, I don't, for the first time in since I was a kid, a little kid, I don't know where star Wars is going anymore. Like, I don't know what's next. And I find that really exciting yeah. versus the fans were like, but I don't like that. Luke wants to die. That is bad. Right. Uh, I mean, okay. But like, let's to try to take a look at the context for what it is. And my 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 concern is with this movie being so polarizing and with Radio Silence seeming so resistant and, and maybe fearful to of, it, of upsetting the balance, are they going to lean into the changes that they've made or are they going to pull way back on those and try to pull a, a, a Rise of Skywalker and, and play it safe? Is it polarizing? Because I feel like I'm in the vast minority here. I feel like most people don't feel like I do about it. So and I'm OK with that. Three so, quarters of this group feel the way you do, Mike, is all I'm saying. Yeah, and one is one myself is super strong on it. And literally right. people, like I said, that I've talked to in the real world about this that aren't in the horror or scream echo chambers are like split down the middle on it. Okay. You, you got some people saying like best scream movie, and then you got others going like, Oh, that one was like the worst since three and it's it's really fascinating some of these reactions because like like you said um steven um for the first time in a scream franchise i feel i don't know where we're going next after seven after this one like 
Mm-hmm. Are we going to get that movie where Sam is a ghost face hunting down the cult of ghost face led by Stu Mocker? Or are we just going to get something else entirely different mm-hmm. that we don't know? We don't expect literally the way this- Did you just pitch scream seven? Oops. All ghost face. I, I pitched oops. All ghost face. Uh, scream seven <laughs> just now. Fuck. Yes. Fuck uh, yes. Stu Mocker tired of being the sidekick decides to lead the coast cult of Ghostface, and it's like 10 plus people and sam is using Ghostface persona as well to hunt all of them down i'd be there for it that's kind I mean, of incredible i honestly i would have again a month ago i would have told you no yeah. i want to see that movie so i'm i'm just taking a look right now because you know it's like it's saturday as you record this they're projecting this movie to drop about 60 percent week over week which is on par for most horror movies, which tend to be front loaded. I'm so, looking at the numbers right now, and it looks like they're at 63.7 million mm-hmm. so far in their total domestic box office. So, yeah, they're predicting like it'll be just under where the first, where the reboot ended after this weekend. Uh, so it's still outperforming the last one. Um, mm-hmm. So I think people are on tap for whatever radio silence has next. And look, I'm not like get rid of radio silence. They're terrible. They should not like I will be first in line the night Scream 7 opens because like even though I don't love this movie, it's not such a bad faith effort. And part of it is because those core four characters core four. I do really like those characters even Sam, who I thought was much better in five than six. Five, six didn't do it for me. Oh. All right. Um, we've gone super long, and I apologize because it's Saturday afternoon, and I'm taking everyone's time up. Where, um, Raina, were you going to jump in there? I apologize. So oh, I no, 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 no. No, I totally, I think I was going to crack a joke, and then I lost it. It got away from me. Yeah. ADHD. <laughs> so what do we want? I guess like, you know, you Raina have your ideas and I love that idea of like, I bring, back, bring back the cult of stew. What would you all like to see going forward? I would personally just love to see Sam like tap into that dark side of herself with Billy Loomis and use it for good throughout an entire movie rather than just at the finale where it's a life or death situation. Like what if she does like, listen to her dad the entire time and is like, you know what? You're right. Like every time I don't like tap into this dark side, people get hurt. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start doing it from the jump to prevent any of that. That's where I want it to go. I I was still really excited when that mask came off and it was kind of trading ghost face over like trading hands over the course of the movie. I, would love to see more of that. I like the Columbo idea where we know who Ghostface is and it's a how catch him instead of a who done it. Um, but I, I really, really, the, the strength of this franchise is that anybody can be Ghostface and I want to see them lean into that even more mm-hmm. than they already have. Yeah. I would love to see the mask change hands so much over the course of the movie that you kind of can't catch your breath. Um, I that opening was really exciting to me for that reason. And I just there are so many ridiculous motives 
they could deal with that don't necessarily have anything to do with the core four or with Sydney Prescott or with anybody or with Richie. Um, so I, I think that they could go anywhere with it. I just, I want to see more ghost faces. Give me 20 ghost faces. Give me a flash yeah. mob of ghost faces, you know, like, <laughs> ghost face. yeah. a town of ghost faces. Yes. Be amazing. Um, I would be, again, I think I said, like, if you start the next one where Tara actually does die, and that is the inciting incident that sets Sam off, I would be all for that. I would definitely be for that. I would be up, I don't know, like, I I guess, like, I'm fascinated to see where the next one goes. I have no idea. I don't know if they're going to play it safe. I mean, to me, it feels like they're just going to play it safe. That's what I'm afraid of. That's that's I think the one thing I don't want from the next one is for them to play it safe. I, again, they're probably no. gonna because these things are worth a lot of money, mm-hmm. and you can't fuck that up. If the next one starts with Sam and Tara as astronauts, I will be all on. You're board. back. I You're back. Be, I'm back in, baby. Yeah, I will go see it ten times in the theater if they go to space. I swear to God. Do we have any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, I want to know everybody's uh, scream rankings. <laughs> I'll go last. Uh, do do a uh, bottom to top. Bottom to top. Bottom at, to top. At, at time of recording, when I've only seen six one time and all the others multiple, uh, I would go from the bottom six three two five four one. Okay. I would. From bottom to top, five, six, three, two, four, one. Wow. Um, I'll do mine before Mike's because he wanted to go last. Uh, from the bottom to top, I would do three, four, five, one, six, two. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> I see Mike shaking his head like, what the Rainer hell is that? Rainer just shaking shit. Right up, I love it. No, I'm gonna Rain, go I with the, love it. I'm going to go top to bottom because I don't think I could go bottom to top. It would break my brain. So I'm going to say one, two, four, five, three. Dropping a hornet's nest down my pants. Six. Wow, I I'm really shocked at how like low six is on all the rankings. But I guess I I guess I really can't be shocked considering in my everyday life I talk to people and it's split down mm-hmm. the middle. Like it I, really does feel as polarizing as four. And but um, but I I think for most people four is either like one of the best or one of the worst. Like right. four is almost never somewhere around the middle. I can it, never get people. over how it how it looks visually. Like that Vaseline cannot, filter, yeah. yeah, cannot get over that hump of like, oh yeah. man, they looked at this and said, "All right, send it to print." <laughs> yeah, touche. All um, right. <sighs> now I'm sad. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, I will take up the sword and so, shield for this movie anytime and gladly. And I, but I do understand everybody's arguments. I'm not one of those fans that's like, oh, if you don't like this one, you just don't get it. I'm no, no I'm not like well, that no, at all. Like, and honestly, I can honestly, get why people love this movie as much as like I don't love this movie. I totally understand why folks are super into it. Like, I get that. Um, and honestly, Raina, after talking to you, 
I'm actually excited to see this again to see what I might have missed. And, and cause you know, a lot of times I'll walk out of a movie and go, I think this about it. And then mm-hmm. I'll revisit it later and go, what the fuck was I on? Like, this is great. <laughs> Quick or what was I thinking? This is crap. Like I yeah. want to go back and see it again with, with your thoughts running through my head mm-hmm. to see if it changes anything. For me. I appreciate that. Yeah. No, thank you so much for saying that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I no I, cause look, I'm not, I'm not going to be the first – I will be the first person to tell you I am completely fallible and I, I am wrong a lot, mm-hmm. which you know is not really something you hear white people – white men with microphones on the internet saying often, but I'm wrong all the fucking time. So am I willing to be proven – like I said at the top of the show, like I am willing to be told why what I think about this movie is wrong. Because um, I, I, again, I love this franchise. I want – I went into this really excited, really wanting to like mm-hmm. it. And I remember walking out feeling a little let down and I would be lying if I didn't think there was a part of it going, is it me? Like, am, am I wrong? And I willing to be wrong. I, I, I kind of want to be wrong because I fucking love this franchise. So I know it's only March, but I kind of feel like horror this year, like 2022 was such a high point. Like there were so many great movies in 2022 and honestly, nothing has knocked me out in 2023. Um, and I know there's a lot of year left, we got but time, everything Mike. feels pretty good. But there's nothing where I'm like, this is a game changer or this is a movie that I will go to the mat for. It just feels kind of like, yeah, it's OK. Well, yeah, because uh, Bo is Afraid hasn't dropped yet. <laughs> yeah, I saw the trailer and I'm like, not into it. I and and I'm shocked I, by that, and I'm shocked by that. I can say, as somebody who read the script about a year ago, mm-hmm. like I don't think people are quite ready for that movie, and I'm excited to see people's readings and what they take away from that. Excellent. Because there were numerous times in that script that I'm like, "How in the hell is this going to translate to screen?" Excellent. Well, I'm I'm that that gives me some faith then. Um, cause I was stunned that I just want, when I watch a trailer, I'm like, I'm not feeling anything. And that stunned me because mm-hmm. I love his first two movies. It's very misleading. The trailer. No. I'll say okay, that. Good. Like good. super misleading. Good. All um, right. Be, be hyped. <laughs> Let's wrap with some plugs. So Raina, tell us about your new, because these are like both relatively new developments, right? Like taking over like gaming, like the, the uh, gaming department for Bloody Disgusting and your new pod. What other, what are you, what have you, I've lost the ability to speak. What have we launched? Tell us about your creative endeavors and where can we find you? Yeah. So uh, recently I was just made uh, the lead uh, gaming critic over at Bloody Disgusting. I basically take up all the, all the game reviews of like, they, they go through me. Like I just recently uh, reviewed, uh fatal frame resident evil 4 and dead cells like i'm mentally exhausted from doing all three of those in such a short span but yeah um i also run a monthly gaming column there called tales from the console in which i revisit an old horror video game and see how it holds up in modern context um you can find like all of that stuff there i'm constantly doing previews and reviews keeping up to date on like gaming stuff 
we do have a couple game reviews that are pretty big coming down the pipeline. I say that as even though we just dropped my review for Resident Evil 4. <laughs> um, it seems like that would be a big one. Yeah, very big one. Um, it, it was like, I believe the only one of two five out of fives I've ever given for the site. Um, oh, wow. The other one being Dead Space earlier this year, ironically. Um, hmm. Both fantastic, both worth your time. But anyway, you can find all my gaming coverage over at Bloody Disgusting. And I recently just launched uh, the Carnal Extremities podcast where we cover our our logline is extreme horror and extreme music. We do a wine and cheese pairing of an extreme, very broad definition of the term horror movie gets paired up with an extreme musical album. So. Mm. Uh, we have two episodes out right now. One of them is uh, Saw paired up with uh, an album by As I Lay Dying. And our episode two is The Devil's Rejects paired up with an album by The Acacia Strain. So if anyone has any interest in that, you can find it over on Spotify and Apple. All right, we'll definitely check that out. Jessica, how about yourself? What do you have? What's going on with your South my Southwest coverage? What have you reviewed and what do we have to look forward to? Um, I've all my South by Southwest reviews are out already. Um, probably my favorite movie out of there that I saw was Raging Grace, which was very, very good. Um, that was at uh, Nightmarish Conjurings and on my website, We Who Walk Here. Um, I've always got things with slash film coming out in film cred and, you know, I've also got Panic Fest coming up in April, another horror film festival. So I'm excited about that. Um, you can find all that on my website at wewhowalkhere.com. And I'm on Twitter as we Who Walk Here. Excellent. And Stephen, how about yourself? What's going on with Disenfranchised? Uh, Disenfranchised, we, um, we're just coming off of our, our second spooky-thon of the season, our first of this year, where we covered some, some horror movies. And we're uh, kind of just reacting to some stuff right now we uh did our in to coincide with scream six we released our um episode on uh a night the nightmare on elm street remake from 2010 um which is doing a fair fair bit of numbers for us which is really nice um if you haven't listened to that and just want to hear us like riff on on what what is a really piss poor remake of, of a really good movie uh go check that out um but uh, we we just released our uh, episode on David Cronenberg's Eastern Promises, and uh, next week to coincide with John Wick, we're doing uh, the Timothy Oliphant film Hitman. John Wick is a hitman, you see. Um, so yeah, it's uh, you can find us on uh, online at Disenfranch Pod, pretty much anywhere you find uh, uh, social media things, and then uh, you can find me pretty much everywhere at Chewy Walrus as well. Excellent. And listeners, as you know, you can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian. You can follow the show at Pod and Pendulum. Uh, go to our site, podandthependulum.com, for all of our back episodes and also links to every pod chaser that you get. Um, you can hear my other show, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, where we cover horror movies through the lens of mental health everywhere you get your shows. And... Yeah, go ahead. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review, rate, review us, leave us a few kind words. It does really help out. If you haven't loved this episode and we're three hours in, number one, it's okay to turn us off if you don't like what you hear. We give you Please. permission. Um, but, you know, 
Don't review this one. Just wait. Just come around. What else do we have coming up? Well, next week we'll be back. We'll be returning to the purge, and we are going to be talking about the first purge. Uh, we'll then move on to the forever purge, and then we're going to do a show where we talk about the two uh, the two TV series as well. After that, we have a mini franchise. We're going to do the collector and the collection. Uh, tipping our toes into like torture porn really for the first time um and then who knows uh i'm not quite sure what we're going to be doing next so i know we have a bunch of stuff planned for later this year but we've got some in between things to get to so we have packed our bags you know we have left woodsboro i think we've left new york city now we'll see where we head from here uh, thank y'all. We'll be back next week. Core four. Core four. <laughs>